Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Oh, hello. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show from the Red Pill Expo with my best pal, Joni Abbott. Hey, how you doing? You're not just like a figment of my imagination. I'm not. You're real. I'm not. I'm totally real. I'm not in Florida covering. Yeah, right? That was so funny that week, a couple of weeks ago now. I don't know, but call her up. And it's like she, she knew I was going to call. I did. I had, I had, he had popped into my mind and I had so many like memories floating mm. through my mind of the Robert Scott Bell show and hosting yeah. the Robert Scott Bell show and like all these wonderful years and all these memories. And I was like, gosh, I really miss Robert. And 10 minutes later he texts me and it. I was like, you can I was like, this cannot be, this cannot be. I, I thought, this yeah. is the uh, Joni Abbott psychic friends connection. <laughs> Right. Just you wait. Just you wait till I clear some more and heal more and get more stronger intuition. It's going to be real right. weird. So have we been having some fun at the Red Pill Expo? We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I I love you know everything that the speakers are talking about. Of course, um, there's so much like-mindedness here when it comes to health, freedom, and sovereignty. And um, I'm really excited that so many of the speakers talked are talking about light and dark and covering mm. these spiritual aspects that I think maybe sometimes people don't want to look at or don't want to understand are connected to, to these issues in our society, you know? And the truth is that this is light being shown on the dark and that societies have always been this way. Mm -hmm. This is not anything new. We're just seeing it maybe for the first time or, you know, waking up in our own path. So I think it's, yeah, it's really great to see where some of these conversations are going well and folks if you know how deep the rabbit hole goes <laughs> or if you knew how deep the rabbit hole maybe you do but it it's not all pretty and yet why are we here are we here to hide from the ugly of life or are we here to try to make it prettier or better right. and, I, and i don't mean that from a superficial way you right. know what i'm saying yeah uh, yeah. The depth with which I'm trying to refer refer to, uh, you know, the seriousness, the intensity of, of, of life on planet Earth and how hard and difficult it can be. Challenges, abuse, other things that are, are very real, not something we love to dwell on, but acknowledge it's part of the human experience and has been for a long time. It has. So it has. when we're talking about the COVID crisis, so-called so, so that we went through the last few years, it brought a lot more people to... Uh, let's say a state of consciousness mm -hmm. that recognized that we were being lied to and deceived. Yes. Some went deeper into their own holes and never came out and, and the, they're shut down to it. But others have been opened up to the things we've been talking about here. One of the folks that came on the scene that I didn't know before this was Brian Artis. <laughs> I didn't know him before this either. Yeah. And actually some of the things that he, he talks about, I was like, wow, um, I don't know if I have time to research that too, mm -hmm. to make sure he's not full of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, I was very pleasantly just surprised to see how deep down the rabbit hole he goes. Mm -hmm. And as a researcher and as somebody who works in the legal world, researches everything, yes. having facts to back up what you're claiming and saying mm -hmm. is so very important. Yeah. And he to date is one of the most well-researched oh yeah. people on his claims with yeah. the amount of evidence to back it up that I've seen. And I don't say that lightly. We're going to talk with Brian Artis this hour. This is just a brief in intro that Joni and I are uh, providing for the hour 
well, bulk of the hour interview with Brian Artis, who is one of the featured speakers here at the Redville Expo. And yeah, we'll talk about the venom issue, but a new uh, layer or level of understanding when we get into the plasmid structures yes. and how they're engineering this. And uh, it is fascinating, but it is fully on, full on peer reviewed published yes. papers and or research coming directly out of the ma manufacturers of these products. Uh, telling you exactly what they do and how they do it. Yes. Yeah. It's like a hidden in plain sight, so to speak. And he's the yeah. one who's shining the light on that. And mm -hmm. um, I have to give him a shout out because it's one of, he's one of my favorite speakers here. And I, I love a good speaker who can be relatable, mm -hmm. break down a lot of um, difficult to understand information, a lot of science speak mm -hmm. in an easy way for any person to be able to understand yeah. something who makes it palatable and who has a, an awesome sense of humor. So yes. so you add all of those things together and you just get this this mm -hmm. great recipe for a great speaker. And I love entertaining speakers. The last thing you said is a great sense of humor. Yes. <laughs> for me, that is the litmus for someone who is coming from the light or with the absence of humor might be coming from the lizard world darkness. <laughs> True. Lizards are not very funny. No? I'll just say that. They're just. Uh, no, but they are very interesting. Yeah. And nobody really is drawn to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So we had uh, also brief, briefly, uh, a guy came up to me and was asking about his daughter, an adult daughter who's yeah. very overweight, has started the Ozempics injections. Okay. I wanted to figure out because she had syndrome X. She could never lose yeah. weight. She's finally losing weight in the injections. And she even told her dad, if I have to go off these injections, I just put the weight back. on. I'm going to kill myself. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I, I saw you talking to I him did, about yeah. that. I yeah. didn't know um, I because I, I thought you have been through a journey. Oh, I have been yourself. through a journey. Well, with journey. losing 100 pounds, you know, I showed him my before picture yeah. and I told him, you know, I was estrogen dominant. I had metabolic syndrome. I was. As she did. His daughter. He said, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that I had the X version where it like it was more cardiovascular risk. Mm -hmm. But I know that my both on both sides of my family yeah. is heart disease. We have AFib on one side and heart disease on the other. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I am not going to be that story. I know too much about health. I know too much about epigenetics. I know how much I can influence the, you know, the atmosphere in my body. Mm -hmm. I know that it can be influenced with the right inputs. And so all you got to do is give yourself what your body needs. And it's amazing how it starts self-correcting. Yeah. Health is a lot easier and much more simple than we make it. It's just all of our addictions to the things around us and the emotions we have with facts and food mm -hmm. that keep us stuck. So did you... Uh... Did you tell him that you coach people now? Yes. Oh, yeah. Your health of coach? Course. Okay. Of yeah. course. Yes. So I, I love working one-on-one -on -one with people. And I tell, yeah. I used to say that it may not be the most lucrative business model. And I'm going to change that limiting belief on the Robert Scott Bell show yeah, right here. Yeah. That it can be a lucrative business model. And mm -hmm. I do not like making dependence mm -hmm. out of people. I'm not right. the pharmaceutical companies. Right. I'm You're not a medical doctor, right? Well. I, I yeah. give me three to six months mm -hmm. and let's see how many changes we make. And if you want to continue after that, great. But I know that everything that I've learned so far is helpful enough to people that when we change the foundations, when we change what they're eating and we start focusing and making their health a priority mm. and we're consistent, like everything in life, consistency yeah. is key. It's amazing the things that I've seen. How, how do people find people. you if they want a coaching session or a bunch so of them? So I have a great email, okay. organicjoni at gmail.com. All right. You heard it. Organic yes. Joni at Gmail. I don't even have a website yet. I'm just pretty much word of mouth. That's You've heard okay. it here. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, y'all check it. Check her out if you want. And it's, it's 
Quad Cities area, but you can do remote coaching. Oh, yeah, right? I do online yeah. coaching all the yeah. time with people in multiple states. So uh, what do you say? We got Brian Artis coming up in just a moment. What do you think? Should people listen and watch? Let me explain to you. You don't want to miss it. Yeah. And you want to keep it here on it's the Robert Scott cool. Bell Show. Yeah. You do. And y'all check it out. Links are up. RobertScottBell.com, including the things we're going to talk about with an upcoming event with Brian Artis uh, that we're promoting. And we can get you a discount as well on that. So come on over to the, the show notes at RobertScottBell.com. Enjoy the rest of the hour with Brian Artis from the Red Pill Expo. Thank you, Joni You're Abbott. So You're so awesome. You. Love you and appreciate Love you. you too. And uh, back with more and back with Brian Artis in just a sec. All right, here we go. More excitement from the Red Pill Expo. Thanks to G. Edward Griffin. We are together again. It's reunion time with who? Dr. Brian Artis, my buddy, my pal, and uh, so enjoyable. I watched you on stage, and the response here at the Red Pill Expo was, what did he say? I can't follow anything he said. No, they actually <laughs> didn't say that. The, no, what Brian's bringing, doc, if you've ever seen an, uh, a presentation by Dr. is so thorough, so detailed, and again, beautifully and masterfully done how you bring people along to make sure they're, they're riding along. And of course, I, I teased. It was like, it's overwhelming. It's a lot. But the way you do it is such that people say, I actually was able to follow I that. I can follow. And of course, it's you know more on the controversy, if there should be or would be, on uh, snake venom, peptides, other things that Big Pharma has been utilizing for years for drugs. And uh, as it relates to various forms of mRNA introduction, as they say, of the technology that they call a vaccine wrongly, of course, but we're still dealing with it. And you keep coming with more detailed information, more things that are revelatory, if that's a word, <laughs> gets us to that deeper level of you have the suspicion based on everything and then you're missing one and you find it again. Dude, I don't even know when you get out to play basketball. I don't. I'm thinking. I used to before the pandemic, but not anymore. Yeah. It's too much deceit, too much lies, propagandized and published. Yeah. And you got to spend a whole lot of time every day trying to find it, answer mm. it, so you can articulate it to audiences and help it make sense. It's funny. You don't look like a nerd. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to tell people I was the coolest nerd they were ever going to meet because I loved sports. Yep. And I loved reading, like, encyclopedias yeah yeah so half the time in middle school my friends would go out to recess i would go into the library to look up stuff in the encyclopedias really like on professions animals yeah. i thought i wanted to be a marine biologist and a veterinarian mm -hmm. i always loved data and statistics and research yeah. studies and i would say i'm the coolest nerd you've ever known because <laughs> i was actually really good at sports yeah i happened to be just naturally drawn a little bit nerdy as well but yeah stuff the eggheady side of our of ourselves, and I think everybody has some inquiry or, or let's say a curiosity to inquire. Not everybody takes it to the level that you've done. Sure. Uh, something that draws you in, and it's amazing what you've done because you you know initially a, certainly a lone voice or one of the few that would speak out in an area that you know you have been derided and ignored or or made fun of by so many. But as I I do I say and loved by many at and, the same. Well, point. the love yes I do and love you and respected by many and respected. There was many. just a lot that were. They, they, they were the louder ones, the Absolutely. ones, of course, as always. So I just acknowledge that at the same time, go, dude, this guy's awesome. We have fun every time <laughs> we're together. And, and you know, I think the key to finding out where someone's at, their heart, watch them if they have humor. They carry humor. Does it flow through them? Do they laugh? Do they make you laugh? All of that. That's one of those litmuses I've always had in my life to say, where are they at? Right. I don't know them, but I watch and observe and go, oh, OK, this guy's got a lot of humor. And this is one of the things that's helped me stay sane, I think, and keep audiences sane is I'll go like this. I didn't do it today at the Red Pill Expo, but I yeah. usually set the stage this way. I'll ask anyone in the audience to tell me, raise your hands. Mm -hmm. Anyone in the audience who knows everything about everything. <laughs> and no one does. Right. I go, Great. I didn't raise my hand either. I do not know everything about everything. You guys admitted you don't know everything about everything, anything yeah. either. 
So let's just have a conversation mm-hmm. first. Don't just dismiss it because you act like you're God and know everything. No one does. Right. Beautifully, beautifully no said, beautifully said. And so uh, the, the challenge of uh, bringing all of that out again, it's after hours is not the way to say, it. I mean, I think if you calculate the hours into days, the months, the weeks, all of that is built in. It's like, they don't see all of that. You can tell them, but it's hard to conceive of the amount of time. Sure. And and a lot of my research went back in the 1990s when I was first engulfing and devouring all of this new information as I was learning homeopathy. But it was simultaneous to devouring just so many things in the health arena and then a lot of how the world really works arena. And, and so it dovetailed in. And now when I talk, I can speak on things without having to think about them because they're just embedded into my DNA and my nerve pathways. But you seem to be able to accelerate that. That new information comes in. It, 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 am I exaggerating and watching what you're doing? No, it's this? 24-7. Yeah. And I really do think um, most of the time there's like downloads spiritually. Yeah. And I usually come early in the morning in the waking hours. I will get this impression to go research something. And, oh, my God, it ties into something I haven't been able to reconcile yet, mm-hmm. make sense out of. Yeah. It's all the time. And uh, it's been a huge blessing that, uh, that at least I'm open, yeah. try to be to new information and new ideas. And if I can't make sense out of it after a few days of doing research for 12 to 16 hours, I'll just let it go. Mm -hmm. But usually it will circle back and I will find it. Right. But you, so you've gone down what we would call a research rabbit hole of some kind and it doesn't pan out. Sure. You have a suspicion. You have a, uh, I'm thinking and you go, well, no, that didn't work. But on the snake venom thing, every time you'd go deeper and not only worked, it, you know, it validated, revalidated, and went deeper than you even thought. That's right. So yeah. in the beginning of this conference here, you didn't watch it. I actually said, where's Lee Merritt? Dr. Lee Merritt, one of the greatest MDs. Yes. I love it. I said, where is she? Mm-hmm. I told her I would not start till she's sitting down. Because as supportive, loving, respectful, she's been on everything I've ever said. She'll sit and glance over what I say. But then she'll say, I still can't get into the snake venom aspect of COVID. And I said, no, I need you to sit here. Make sure you're sitting here because I'm going to do this whole presentation because there's stuff you haven't seen me talk about yet mm-hmm. that I've just recently discovered in the last few months. And after the after I spoke, we came into this little media area and she walked up to me and goes, I took notes the whole time. And oh, my God, she, you said one thing I had heard in the first couple months of COVID as the pandemic in the yeah. first few months of COVID. Someone said this is not a virus. You need to start researching plasmids. plasmids. Yeah. Yeah. She goes, no one's even talked about it till you just brought it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the last six months, we've uncovered with Dr. Henry Ely's team. Thank God he directed me to that. Dr. Ely? Dr. Henry Ely. Yes. He's like, I need to talk to you about these plasmids mm-hmm. and uh, that Kevin McKernan had actually told him about. And so I looked into him and I was like, oh, my God, these are DNA circular material they insert spike protein genes into. So I went in to look. Are these spike proteins of COVID that were identified to be snake venom neurotoxins, are they experimenting and researching and proving that in the human body they can use plasmids with venom instruction mm-hmm. to create right. spike proteins of venom? Yeah. And oh my God. And, yeah, he, sure. and, and finally, for Dr. Lee Merritt, it was an aha moment for her that, oh my God, I, I don't even know about these plasmids, but I heard about them three years ago. This perfectly could explain how they created the narrative of COVID without a virus mm-hmm. is these plasmids. So we got to pause here and come back in just a moment. I've got to go introduce the next speaker. We'll be right back. Thanks for uh, bearing with me here. <laughs> All right. Part two of uh, uh, the Brian Artists. What do we call it? The Brian Artists. Charade. Charade? No, that was the word <laughs> I was looking for. Like the Chronicles. Oh, there we go. Something really Artist big. Chronicles. The Artist Chronicles. No, that, that sounds really sounds good. Really cool. I like yeah, it a lot. Like it. Yeah. 
Dude, do you always dress up so nice? No. Neither do I. I hate wearing this stuff. <laughs> we got to do it sometimes when we go up on stage. Now, you have a big event I want to talk about coming up, and we've been promoting it and telling everybody about it. There are links up. I think RSB discount code and everything that you have for it. RSB. Are, it. It's very simple. Yeah. The only problem is I'm not going to be there. I want to be there, but uh, you guys still want to be there. Are you going to stream it live or just record it for later? No, it's virtual. We're going to be streaming the entire conference live okay. on multiple, multiple outlets. But okay. go register. Okay. If, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, healingfortheages.com is the website. Yeah. At the very top, even if you don't want to pay as an attendee in person or virtual yet, there's a free masterclass Q&A. Yeah. On the Thursday night before on September 7th. Just register. And then we're going to do a live Q&A. Jonathan Otto is going to moderate that okay. and help stream that live. And me, Dr. Ed Group, Dr. Henry Ely, and Dr. Janice Schmidt are the four speakers for the Healing for the Ages conference. The acronym AGES is our last name initials. Artist wow. Group Ely Schmidt. Dude. So it's going to be very exciting. Watch the Mastercrafts. Just so you know, this is going to be a very different conference. And I'll just sum this up real quick. Mm -hmm. Every presentation that we do over a two-day period. You ever been to a conference and then left and didn't have any notes trying right. to take pictures the whole time of all the slides and yeah. make notes on your phones and you feel lost more you, than are, when you are showed you up? Are you telling me you're going to give everybody every slide, every presentation? Oh, we've already worked this out. Every virtual attendee and physical in-person attendee. Yeah. When you register, you're going to have to put in your email. In your email, literally, after each presentation, when we walk off the stage. Yeah. So You'll we'll close it. And then there's a 15-minute Q&A yeah. live of the presentation with yeah. all four of us docs to talk about all we just talked about in that 15 minutes, every single presentations documents, the entire PowerPoint presentation slide solutions is actually emailed after every presentation into your inbox. Nice. The whole conference. Nice. So even if you can't attend, like okay. you just sign up and you yeah. can't even watch it by the time you get back from vacation or You'll work, whatever it. you're doing, they're all in your inboxes nice. and you didn't miss anything. And then we're going to upload all of those presentations by video up onto the website. So now the that, the that you've, uh, uh, let's say, brought Dr. Lee Merritt in your corner because you got to talk about the plasmid stuff. She's coming in person. She, I was thinking that she would want to come a, now yeah, based on that. Oh, she told me right. beforehand she was coming. Yeah. Yeah, do you want coming. some Cardio Miracle in that? Are you going for straight Pepsi water? No, straight water? for this. Yeah, I'll just do this. That's nasty. Mm -hmm. I, I think the filtered water we got was better. But, yeah, I would I would put something in it just to, yeah. to blend it on out. Is that? I can't this was remember. my filtered water. If it was Coca-Cola water or Pepsi water. It's about uh it's Coke or Pepsi. They're, yeah. they're the same nasty companies. But then they add stuff in. I'm like, just purify the water for just goodness sake. It's not that hard. Water. Stop trying to kill us. Anyway. Speaking of killing, do you know what the minerals are they add to these water bottles? I I wish it was they just, add minerals for flavor, it says on every bottle. Do you know what they are? They're well the, they're making you thirstier for one. There's two minerals they add. Yeah. Calcium and magnesium. Yeah. You know what's disgusting about that? Did you know magnesium's required to activate? Venom yeah, in the we've talked. We have talked about that. It, it, it's it, and this was the thing. Or uh, it's buddy, just for flavor, not to kill you. Right. Yeah, right. We, uh, you know, we had the the thing with Doctor Batar. We talked about, and he was Doctor Magnesium. And I talked to you about that. I, I said, told him to stop Magnesium. I don't think he could do it. He said no. Yeah, I he don't think he would it. do it. No, it was too he connected. Was putting and it in to IVs it. with EDTA. Yeah. Right. That was very sad. So, uh, yeah, and, and coming back as well to the nicotine uh, discussion. And, you know, we use various things, including nicotine in homeopathic form as well. Yes. So we have uh, nicotinum. Nicotinum, that's right. And this is something that uh, is a fascinating uh, part of the journey to recognize how it can block the snake venom peptides or something. Am I just kind of saying that right? Absolutely. And, and yet nicotine, I think, is from what I read is like the least addictive of all the things. And I may be exaggerating this in a cigarette, 
in a commercial cigarette because there's all kinds of crap in there that's not even tobacco. Right. Whereas if you're actually rolling your own tobacco, it's a, it's a whole different thing because the tobacco plant is actually a medicinal and nutritive plant uh, that has been corrupted by the industry. And in fact, years ago, has that ever happened by man before that they took something in nature and just adulterated it to make it more toxic? I think it's an anomaly. It's an anomaly. That is never, it? Never, that, it would that, never, never happen. happens. Well, we had years ago at the homeopathic laboratory I was with with my mentor. Uh, we had uh, analyzed uh, or uh, gotten, I think it was a connection with a guy that had gotten on a tour. I think he was like a, a, a reporter of some kind. He was invited to like R.J. Reynolds, right? The major manufacturer of the cigarettes. And they make you wear a paper suit because it's like a clean room when you go in what they're doing. And he, at the end of the tour, he had an agenda. He's like, hey, do you think I could keep this paper suit as an, uh, like a, a souvenir of the thing? And they didn't think, yeah, sure, you can keep it. He had it analyzed. And found trace amounts of opium from where they do the papers, the papers that they roll it. For the cigarettes. For the cigarettes, for commercial cigarettes. And I thought, you know, it's interesting. They always said that cigarettes were more addictive than fill in the blank. And it's like, and they always blame the nicotine. It's like, that never made sense to me until I learned, oh, there's some stuff going on that's not what you think it is. In well, well, let's just answer this. Anybody at home can do this real quick. If you got Google in front of you on your phone, just type in these words. Harvard. 2015, nicotine not addictive. There you go. I think we found out what I suspected all along. That and, it, and if you're curious about what they put in nicotine mm, and tobacco products yeah. to make cigarettes and snuff and chew mm-hmm. addictive, yeah. they tell you in that paper. They Can added you, in the 70s, mm-hmm. they added a chemical called pyrazines, and they finally found that this chemical called pyrazines could make the tobacco and nicotine addictive, whereas before, it wasn't. Well, that's what they admit, right? Because mm-hmm. it could be like even more. So I don't. Do you know that on the FDA's website right now, they tell you how many chemicals the tobacco giants are allowed to add to tobacco plants to make their products? Isn't it can, hundreds? Can you, give me, can you give me a number, a rough number, what you think it is? 987. It's actually exactly 600. Ooh, I, I was overestimating, but not by much. 600. And yeah. outside of opioids, they, yeah. they actually disclose in their FOIA request per this Harvard study, mm-hmm. they found that in the 70s, tobacco giants started adding arsenic to the paper yeah, of cigarettes yeah. if you inhale arsenic what is arsenic is it either a therapeutic and health product or is it carcinogenic and disease causing well definitely because we utilize homeopathic arsenic to detoxify patients from arsenic poisoning arsenic yeah. have you ever watched dateline or 48 hours how many times do you see spouses are putting a little bit of arsenic every day in the water of their <laughs> right. spouse and they end up dying because mm-hmm. it's undetectable and you can't taste it mm-hmm. and they get away with it because yeah morgues don't look for it Forensic yeah. toxicologists aren't looking for it. Remember, they were doing a lead arsenate in the you know the 20th century as a pesticide, uh, and of course, uh, treating wood on playgrounds. Right now, that's right? a big problem. Yeah, and so a lot of toxicological birds, and this is not from ingesting. This is now skin exposure, and inhalation potentially. Uh, so yeah, we come back around to that whole cigarette industry and realize they have destroyed a beautiful plant called tobacco, and all the medicine and nutrition that it can bring including the naturally occurring components within it. And I'm talking about organic and all of that. And they've turned it into something that it isn't. As I said, I say traditional, what I say? Commercial cigarettes. The least of all the ingredients in it is a tobacco, real tobacco, nothing but, yeah. Exactly right. And this isn't me endorsing smoking, but I'm just, I've acknowledged that like the Native Americans that would use the peace pipes, I don't know there was a lot of, wasn't a lot of, uh, lung cancer. <laughs> it was just tobacco. Can Mormon. I tell you a story real quick? Yeah. For your audiences to kind of relate to plants and us men doing stuff to these plants? Yes, please. All right. So in order to uh, do some discovery of how to help people with 
long hauler COVID symptoms, paralyzation and blood clots from the COVID-19 vaccines. I had to figure out what do they know, pharmaceutical giants, what do they know about plants that are protective against the blood clotting and neurotoxic effects of venoms? Mm -hmm. Then I came across these researchers who were sent out from England and Europe in the 1700s to go to the Amazon. They were sent there with one mission. Go find out what medicine men and women mm -hmm. in the Amazon jungles yeah. are using to keep their villagers yeah. alive in these environments where there's poisonous snakes, spiders, mm -hmm. everything. How do you keep these people alive? Yeah. And every single village medicine men and woman told them in the 1700s, we just use this plant. And the plant we call Tonka beans. Tonka beans. T-O-N-K, like the Tonka trucks. I remember Tonka trucks, Tonka toys. Tonka, tonka beans. beans. Okay. And I'd never heard of these. I was, found this like a year ago. I was like, Tonka beans? Yeah. What in the world is this? They took the Tonka beans that mm. they found was actually a cure-all for the blood clotting effects of snake venom, death by neurotoxin effect of venoms in their villagers. Yeah. They took Tonka beans back to Europe to Analyzed have chemists yeah. break down its components and figure out what were the molecules in this God-created plant called Tonka beans. What is the blood clot busting effects of venoms what is it in the plant that does it and they isolated the component and they called it coumarin c-o-u-m-a-r-i-n that's what's in the tonka bean that protects against blood clot blood thickening effects of venoms coumarin do you know what the pharmaceutical giants decided to call the synthetic form of coumarin they didn't go far did they Coumadin. They only went and changed one letter. Yeah. And they changed it from coumarin to coumadin. Yeah. Coumadin has all Boys these toxic side effects, mm -hmm. crystallizing your arteries and capillaries. You've seen those big blood vessel, I mean, big blood bruises yeah. all over people's body when they tap. Yeah. Go to any retirement home, assisted right. living home, and every elderly person has these bruises all over the body. I tell you what. That I is bleeding out effects of a synthetic plant right. called coumarin made into what's called coumadin. coumadin it crystallizes all of your arteries and blood vessels in your body at a same rate the little bitty capillaries in your skin are crystallizing and hardening at the same rate your arteries do but because these are thin they become fragile like glass mm. over time and they break with the slightest and they break touch. with the slightest touch and yeah. then blood pours out into your skin this yeah. is hemorrhaging mm -hmm. eventually everyone on those drugs will die from an aneurysm leading to strokes right and the other trade name is warfarin Warfarin. And it's used as rat poison exactly to cause right. these rats to bleed out that eat this stuff. This uh, is an example of adulterating and bastardizing God's gift to man yeah. and men going, you know what? We can synthetically manufacture this and make it into a drug we can patent and get millions of people on. I'll tell you the, the story related to that specifically that I encountered as a homeopath. My friend, one of my best friends in the whole world, who we also lost last year, Michael Badnark, who is living, you know, over nine lives. Uh, by the time he passed away, but it was cardiovascular stuff. He was the um, candidate for the presidency in 2004 as a libertarian. He was the nominee and we became fast friends. He wrote good to be King a foundation for our constitutional freedoms. And he was the one that was famous for answering the question. I asked him, I was the only national syndicated media at the libertarian national convention in Atlanta in 04. Well, yeah, in 04. You were the only one. I was the only one. They didn't care about the libertarians. <laughs> I was there. I was in Atlanta where I lived at the time. I was like, okay, I'll be the only one. A live broadcast as he won. He wasn't expected to win. He comes out, and it was, of course, post-9-11, Bush years, and I'm like, a libertarian question. Hey, what do you think about Bush uh, man wanting to mandate all these vaccines for bioterror stuff? He's, he, he kind of blinked and hardly waited and said, Doc, you bring the syringe. I'll bring my 45, and we'll see who makes a bigger hole. 
he became famous for that the world over. They all wanted to hear him say that from that moment forward. Yeah, what a great guy. But again, some years later, I don't think it was that, that long after, you know, he was visiting Atlanta again and he came to me at our home and in, in that, that time stone mountain. And uh, his arm was swelling up and you could see there's like blood pooling. It was like, what the heck is going on, Michael? What are you doing? He said, well, you know, they said I have a heart issue and they put me on these blood thinners. And I said, did they, you know, are they overdosing? No, they're certain that they didn't give me too much. I said, well, is there anything else that they told you to take? Yeah, they got me on aspirin, too. I was like, holy crap, are they trying to kill you? Exactly. The combination of the two. Is going to, you know, and he was literally bleeding internally. Do you know that when they put people on Coumadin, every medical doctor will tell the patient, do not eat green leafy vegetables while on this drug. Do you know why? Yeah, they don't. Vegetables thin the blood. Yep. You know what I find ironic? Why don't they just tell you to eat the veggies and ignore the drug? Right. Yeah. So instead of veggies, they put you on aspirin, Mm -hmm. which is another drug. That thins the blood. So here I am, a radical homeopath. I'm not a medical doctor, and I don't care to be one. As my uncle warned me, the medical doctor said, don't do it, and I didn't. Uh, and I and I was Smart like, uncle. I can put this together faster than his doctor. So I said, they're killing you. They're bleeding you out. So I used some remedies, including homeopathic phosphorus, to stop the bleeding, got him off all of that. And, of course, he lived many, many years beyond that. But it could have been curtains that time. Mm-hmm. So it's just another classic example of why I don't respect the medical degree. Automatically. Now, there are people with medical degrees that have intelligence. They're using it. They're critical thinking skills. Yeah, there's three of them. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it's like some of them here, one of them is like, don't be so mean to us doctors. I'm like, dude, you guys deserve it until you don't. If you're here, you're probably cool. You're not a Marxist collectivist. We can we can work together. We can figure this out. But, the, you know, the idea is, of course. All three of them are at the Red Pill Expo. They're all here, yes. All of them. <laughs> and, and they're still alive. And so yeah. we're grateful for that. But I bring this up again because as we talk about these things, you're a doctor of chiropractic. I am. Once again, looked at and denigrated by those in, you know, AMA sanctioned, that kind of thing. You know, part of the attack. The American was, Murdering Association. Was, was that what you're talking about? Was, yeah, again, coming back to 1847, three years after the American Institute of Homeopathy was founded. Because they're like, we got to wipe out this competition. Let's form Absolutely. a trade association. So this is a long history of antagonism. It's not like I'm antagonistic to them, but they've bashed and trashed dcs nds mds well they've they've engulfed some of the dcs right with licensure and all of that they try to give them nurse practitioner license so they can prescribe their drugs yep and people fall for it they've engulfed some of the naturopaths naturopathy remember you know? they do it slowly yeah slowly and they want to be like the mds like no reject that that's, nope. that's a bunch of noise so here i am insisting that my talk was about stop taking your kids to pediatricians it's dangerous i never did Right. I didn't either. And, After, all, and four out of five are adults now. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> How did they survive? No How did they make it through? No vaccines, no antibiotics. Right. So I come back to that. But I also say I would rather you all take your kids to chiropractors. No doubt. Hands down. Not a question. And naturopaths, homeopaths, that kind of thing. So here we are discussing some high level sciencey stuff. I'm like, How are you doing that? You're not one of them. Well, they're not doing it. Somebody's got to do it. And so I appreciate so much getting a little eggheady and sciencey with my friend Brian Artis. So let me tell you, can I tell you another personal story so you kind of know how I think? Yeah. I was actually going into med school. I was actually going to be a radiologist. Mm -hmm. I was was actually six months from entering the University of Utah's medical school. You've told the story of how you were saved from doing that through tragedy, through almost tragedy, serious stuff. My son is born. I'm I'm a parent now for the first time ever. My son is born in a hospital in Provo, Utah. Went to BYU. I don't know anything about having babies. This baby comes out, the nurse takes him, cleans him up, 
and then goes to see if the baby will nurse before they take it off to the nursery, right? So they take the baby, my little son, his name is Bryce, and they put him on my wife at the time's boob, mm-hmm. mama's boob, right side, and the baby starts screaming hysterically. He wasn't screaming until the nurse is trying to force the baby onto the nipple, mm-hmm. right boob, yeah, won't attach. And physically, the nurse in her like 70s is shoving his face on the nipple, and he's yeah. trying to breathe and scream at the same time. You've heard babies scream where they can't breathe? Mm-hmm. That, that's what she, he was doing. So I'm watching this for a few seconds. They stop, give the baby a rest, and then they flip him around and say, let's try the right. So it was the, the left, left breast they tried. Let's try the, the right, right breast. breast now. So Sorry, it was left breast first. Now they go yeah. to the right side. They flip him around, and he latches on immediately. Yeah. They let him nurse for about five minutes, detach him. Roll him around and want to go back to the right boot. Right boot. They Not stick happening. it on there. He goes ballistic nuts again. And I'm six months from going to med school. And I look at the nurse and I went just like this. Why is he doing that? I don't know anything from anything. Why is he doing that? And what came out of the nurse's mouth was shocking enough. This is what she said. Well, Mr. Artist, some babies are just born picky. And I said, and I actually, you know, my humor you mentioned earlier. I went yeah. just like this. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I just said, and I was waiting for the real answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come on. Yeah, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. And she goes, what? And she turns around and she's training two nurses at the same time in the room. She turns around in embarrassment and looks at them and then looks back at me and then looks at the OBGYN who's stitching up my wife at the time who tore. Mm-hmm. And he can sense the awkwardness in the room because all of a sudden I realized she was being dead serious. Yeah. You're, oh, you're like, serious? What? Wait yeah. a minute. And I'm looking at her, looking at the MD to save her reputation. And that guy looks up in the stifled air and pulls down his mask and goes, he's like in his 80s, um, Mr. Artis, I have delivered babies in this hospital for over 30 years. And there are some babies that are just born picky. And I went just like this. My very next thought was this. Oh, my God, you guys don't know no, everything we think you do. Mm-hmm. Remember, we all think they're like God, like in all answers. Yeah. Now, listen to me, people. Mm-hmm. This is one of the dumbest things i've ever heard come out of a human's mouth ever because mm-hmm. in my head i'm very visual so when the nurse looks at me and goes as fast as she could get out of her mouth some babies are just born picky i am visualizing my baby in the womb for nine months wandering around <laughs> floating around this ball of water yeah and the baby the nurse and medical doctor who are up on a pedestal of health and all-knowing mm-hmm. look at me and say some babies are born picky this means in their head they actually are convinced babies are in the womb and have already made the decision before they come out. Yeah. Don't you dare put me on the right boob. I am a left boob baby. Got it. Yeah. So I'm a left boob kind of so baby. So as soon yeah. as it came out of the mouth, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. No, seriously. Why? Yeah. The medical doctor then actually concurs. Um, some yeah. babies are just born picky. Yeah. What? Oh my God. You guys aren't on the pedestal. I thought you were. I thought you knew everything. You just make up this, crap. This was, that, that was my result uh, at Emory university in Atlanta when I was there going pre-med. Right. And, and again, he echoing the sounds of my medical doctor, uncle saying, don't do it. Don't go. Don't become, I'm like, uncle Bob, you're a doctor. What are you they talking just about? Make up crap all the and time. And he says, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. I'm like, I don't understand uncle Bob. And now he said some things about bureaucracy and government, which I sort of understood, but it was more than that. And then when I had been through all 10 years of allergy injections, I had surgery on my nose. I had every over-the-counter prescription drug given to me for any number of things. My whole life was medical and pharmaceutical. And when they admitted to me they didn't know why I was sick, why I had my allergies, I was like, okay, I'll give you credit for being a little honest here. Okay, I can respect that honesty. But I'm like, still, I'm not impressed. But 
Now I'm going away, and I think they could see it on my face that this guy's never coming back. I think we lost him. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. There's good news. There's hope. There's like a last-ditch effort. I'm like, really? There's hope for me? I'm like, I've been waiting 19 years now. What is it? Spit it out. And they said this, maybe one day you'll grow out of it. And I'm like, the same reaction you had. I'm like, did you learn that in third-year medical school? (laughs) What was that? I think that's the last course. Dude, I'm like. When you can't figure it out, just tell them. No. Now, you out of it year, years later. I understood that, you know, they'll tell women, go get pregnant. It'll go away. And I'm like, you couldn't tell me that. So I was like, all right, there's something wrong here. These people don't not only don't know, but all the stuff they did to me was based on not knowing and it didn't get me better. And that's when I had the epiphany of my uncle and my wife well, say, don't do it. You're going to be miserable. If I had to do that to other people, anything that they did to me for my entire life as a medical experiment, I would be miserable. He was right. But then I, my dreams of being a doctor were dashed because it was the only model I had. I was not from a holistic, you know, homeopathic, chiropractic, naturopathic family. It was all medical. My dad was a pharmaceutical rep. And oh. so it, it was, a, again, it dashed my future until, again, four or five years later when I was opened up to a whole world of natural medicine and history. of And, and there was a lot of spiritual stuff, prayers answered, that kind of thing that led to that. But, you know, that's why, again, I, I have that resonant uh, frequency with Brian Artis here, the story. Now, your story, of course, goes into chiropractic in a unique way because the doctors didn't know what was going on. Four months your, later. Yeah. And this come back to that finale. For those of you who haven't heard it, this is great. Four months after this baby is born and can't nurse on the left side, only on the right side. I've been told uh, it's just picky. He's just born picky. He knew from the time he was conceived he wasn't a right boob baby. That's and, what they're telling you. And you're, and, and, so ridiculous. This kid never slept for more than 15 minutes for the next four and a half months. He screamed the entire time. Never had a bowel movement on his own without me sticking KY jelly on my finger, sticking up his rear end twice a day to help him poop my finger out, and the poop would follow. He never held any food in and would throw up everything he ate. Everything. It was the most overwhelming, stressful time of my entire life. And the only reason why he would sleep for 15 minutes, you had to hold him up against your body. And then when you would fall asleep and you would relax your arms, he would then his head would move and he'd start oh screaming again. Gosh, yeah. So that's the only time we ever got really 15 minute increments, maybe several times a day. We went to nine different pediatricians. Every single one of them told me he'll grow out of it. He's just colicky. That's what I heard every time. The ninth pediatrician gives my son an antibiotic. This is now the fourth antibiotic out of the nine pediatricians. He's on four at the same time now. None of them have resolved his symptoms. We give him this fourth one. I get home while he's nursing. I put it in his mouth. Mm-hmm. He goes back to nursing. Within five minutes, he goes into a grand mal seizure, and he's never had a seizure in his whole life. So I run into the kitchen, call the medical doctor that prescribed this drug, who happened to work in the clinic at BYU, who was a mentor of mine for two years. Mm-hmm. I call him and I say, my son's having a seizure, grand mal seizure, flailing all over the place. What do I do? Do I go to the ER? Do I call 911? Do I bring him to your clinic? What do I do? I'm a brand-new parent. I don't know. My mentor. For two years, screams in the phone. Yeah, that drug would have never caused a seizure. What did you do, Mister Artist, to your baby? Did yeah. you drop your baby or shake your baby? It was one of the two. I wasn't even holding the baby. There was no. Oh my God, I'm sorry. Yeah. Bring him in right now to the ER. Please call nine one one. We got to do something. Put him in a cold bath. Give him a warm towel. What? Nothing. Just gaslit me that it was my fault. And that was it. I slammed the phone. Yeah. That was it. I couldn't do it I again. I could. Him. I couldn't. No, was over the phone. Yeah. I could not yeah, right. ever again, in my opinion, ever trust the medical profession, in my opinion. These are going to be my future colleagues, and this is how you're treating me. Right. 
you came to that epiphany in that moment. Two weeks later, I'm actually playing intramural football. I actually dislocate my shoulder. I'm sent by the trainers at BYU to a, uh, a physical therapist's office. Second visit. I go there Wednesday and then Friday. On Friday, I walk. he walks in the door to the clinic room. It's a huge place, rehab center. And he starts his rehab on my shoulder, and he goes, uh, Mr. Artis, is that your baby out there in the lobby screaming like that? He didn't go out to the lobby. We're way in the back of this clinic. And I said, why would you even ask me that? And he goes, um, I've never heard a baby scream like that. And when you were here on Wednesday for your entire appointment, that screamed the whole time you were in here. When you left, it left. <laughs> now you're back here on Friday. And the same screaming is going on outside there. Is that your baby? And I said, yes, it is. He goes, can you please bring him into this room? I thought he wanted the baby out of the clinic, away from the uncomfortable waiting room patients. Mm -hmm. You ever had a screaming baby on a plane? Yeah. It's awful. I thought he was trying to get that out of the waiting room. I bring him in. And he goes, please put your baby on the table. Now, this is a, I thought it was a PT, physical therapist. Yeah. He goes, put the baby on the table, please. A four-month-old. And I'm like this, what are you going to do with a baby PT therapist? Yeah. And he goes, I'm not a physical therapist. I'm a chiropractor. You didn't and even, I, you and didn't I even went, know that. I didn't even know he was. And I went just like this, what's a chiropractor? <laughs> this is like what I'm talking about. I was totally unaware of I, all this. I had no too. idea. And I went like this, what's a chiropractor? And he goes, um, we specialize in analyzing the spine for trauma. It sounds like your baby is in pain. And I, she goes, how long has he been like this? And I said, he's been screaming like this since the day born. he was born. Yeah. Well, what did the doctor say? And I said, they keep saying he's colicky. He never sleeps he's throughout picky. the night and he'll just grow out of it. That's yeah. what they said. So he goes, well, put him on the table. I, I just want to see if I can tell you what's wrong with him in just a few seconds. I won't do anything to him. Just let me check. So I'm like, okay, whatever, weirdo. So <laughs> I put him down on the table. I'm serious. I'm like, who in the world is this? I lay him on the table. Mm -hmm. You have to understand, I've been through $35,000 of health insurance covered medical test in these four months without any answers, only drugs that cause seizures. What, why do I say the most dangerous thing you can have in America is really good medical insurance? Yeah, you ain't lying. Exactly what we're talking about. So I lay this baby down. This yeah. chiropractor puts his hands underneath his head, little bitty head, Palpates and he's feeling bit, with yeah. his fingertips, yeah. his little neck bones, mm -hmm. I guess. I don't know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything at this point. He's feeling it, and he stops within 10 seconds, and he goes, uh, Mr. Aris, I just need you to tell me something. Your baby was either born with forceps or vacuum extraction. Which one? And I went just like this. How in the world would you know that? And he goes, oh, the first bone in his neck underneath his skull is rotated out of alignment backwards on the right side. The only way you could do that with a baby is to grab his head, turn it with forceps, and yank the baby out of the womb. And it would separate that joint. And he goes, and there's a whole bunch of nerves that control digestion, musculature in your neck. That kid would be in severe pain, pinching on those nerves. And I went just like this. Holy crap in my head. I went just like this. You're telling me that profession did this to my baby? And I said, actually, he was born with forceps. And the guy pinched his ear so hard that it cut his ears. And he was bleeding with big bruises for the first month of his life hmm. from the pressure of the forceps and pulling him out. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, my God, they did this to him. And they keep telling me he's just colic. He's going to grow out of it. And the guy goes, if you'll just give me one five-second period of time, I will move that bone back into its proper alignment. It's very gentle. It's not going to be dangerous. I'm going to move it off the nerves, and all of his symptoms will probably disappear within a few hours. And I went like this. <laughs> Bull crap. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bull crap. Yeah. Whatever a chiropractor is. Seriously, <laughs> that's how I was like, whatever the hell that is. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I'm not joking. This is exactly how I felt. And, he, and I said, whatever. Go ahead. And I don't care. Like, nothing's worked so far. 
That guy goes down there and turns his baby, his little baby head, four months old, and he you hear this loud click, pow, and my baby's eyes went like this, boom, big saucers, and goes screaming ballistic more than he ever had in the last four months. And I was like, holy crap, I pick him up. And what then I pulled up my fist and walked up to that guy, and I was like, what did you do to my baby? I thought he broke his neck, man. I've yeah. never seen – oh, it was awful. And uh, I said, screw you. Don't ever touch my baby again. And the guy's like, calm down, calm down, Mr. Arch, Mr. Arch, calm down. If you just wait five minutes, he'll calm down. He's been in severe pain for months. Just He'll calm down. I said, screw you. I'm never coming back here. And I walked out of the clinic, went to my car, went in the car, didn't even pay for the visit, started driving back 20 minutes back to my house. And the kid is screaming in the back seat. His mom's in the back seat trying to calm him down. He will not calm down. He's just freaking out. We get about two miles down the road, screaming down the highway. And you know what I was thinking, actually? I need to get to the house in a hurry and call the medical doctor and see what happened and what do I need to do. Mm. The same one that told me right. I gave my kid a seizure. Wow. Yeah. And I wasn't even touching him. And it wasn't my drug. Mm. That guy I thought I needed to call out of hope maybe he'll help me this time. And he'll know what to do. We're driving down the road, a mile down the road on the highway, and he's screaming louder than ever. <laughs> and then dead silence in a second, in a heartbeat. And his head drops to his chest. <laughs> you probably thought he was dead. Actually, we both thought he died. Yeah. So I slammed on the brakes into the emergency lane, jumped in the backseat. I was shaking him, and his eyes won't open. And I'm, like, feeling his chest for his heartbeat and seeing if it'll move. He's a little bitty baby. Now I put my finger on his nose to see if he's still breathing, and I can feel a little bit of air. Yeah. But I think he's either had a stroke or going into a coma. So I beeline it. I mean, I'm flying 150 miles an hour down the road, get inside the house, and I call the medical doctor. And I'm panicking because he's non-responsive. He's totally just like, yeah, it's awful. I called that medical doctor and I said, uh, uh, something's wrong with my baby. And he's like, what happened? And I said, this chiropractor adjusted his neck and he's non-responsive. What do I do? And you know what he said? Oh my God, there's nothing worse you could have done to your baby. You could have killed your kid. That chiropractor could have caused a stroke and broke your kid's neck. I cannot believe you took your kid to a chiropractor. And I went just like this. Oh my God. Where am <laughs> I slamming? I was like, oh my I gave God. You one more chance. How can you keep blaming me? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was awful. Okay, so at this point, I'm like, screw them, screw the chiropractor. I don't know what to do. Let's just put the baby in, in the crib. Maybe he's just asleep, and we've just never seen him sleep before without bracing him to us. So I was like, let's just go put him in the crib. Just so y'all know, four and a half months, five months now at this point, he had never, never slept in that. the crib ever, yeah. ever. He could not be let go and mm-hmm. sleep. So we put him in the crib, set an alarm for every 10 minutes to go in there and see if he's still breathing. Eight freaking hours every 10 minutes i went in there and he's still non-responsive but breathing in the eighth hour we walk in there and he's just staring at the ceiling just laying there wide awake and we were like he's alive (laughs) happy baby not a joke we go in there he's not even crying it's weird so first time he's never gonna cry we go out there and mom starts nursing him on the left side and i'm watching this and i'm like honey you gotta do something I want you to flip him around and see if he'll nurse on this right side. He's never nursed on that side. Yeah. Four months later, five months later, this kid's got a really strong suction. Yeah. Whoa, immediately starts sucking on. And I was like, oh, my God. She rips him off because it's killing him. Right. Killing her. Killed her. Yeah. He falls asleep while nursing on this side. Sleeps another five hours. We go in there every 10 minutes. After five hours, he wakes up. First bowel movements in his diaper. Never again did he scream. Never again did I have to ever trigger a bowel movement with my little finger. Never again mm-hmm. did he cry. Never again. Nothing. Now, no seizures, no drugs. No, 
Never, ever again did that happen. Two weeks later is when I dropped my enrollment to University's Medical, Utah Hills Medical School. Right. Contact, called the chiropractor, and I said, where did you learn? What? I actually this said, is the guy you walked out this on This is the guy I walked out right? on, and I said, um, I need to apologize to you. Yeah. And I told him the story, and I said, uh, I need to know something. What medical school did you go to to learn this specialty of chiropractic? Yeah. I thought it was a specialty like orthopedics right. or right. endocrinology. And he goes, we're not medical doctors. And I said, well, what are you? <laughs> and he goes, they're their own profession. And I said, what? Where? And he goes, there's 15 chiropractic schools in the nation. And I said, I've never heard of one. <laughs> and he goes, I said, which one did you learn from? Where did you learn your stuff? And he goes, Parker College of Chiropractic in Dallas. And I said, well, where can I learn more? And he goes, I'm going to call the president of the school right now and tell him to call you. And that was Dr. Fabrizio Mancini. Wow. He called me an hour later, sent me all this crap in the mail. Two weeks later, I moved to Dallas. And you were in. And I was in. Yeah. And uh, I, I would like to say I never looked back. Two weeks later, I quit Parker and went to Southwestern Medical School and applied because I could not mm -hmm. understand how these whack job chiropractic in my opinion, yeah. how these wacko professors could say this every day. Mm -hmm. Inside the human body is this innate intelligence that heals itself. And every time they said that, I was like, what in the world is wrong with y'all? No drugs, surgery, that's vaccines. You're still there. I'm still stuck in that. And I couldn't get around this concept of innate immunity. It was just like this weird hippie mm -hmm. thing I was listening to. I was like, these people are weird. Thank God you saved my son's life, but I can't do this. I went and applied, got into Southwestern Med School, but I didn't tell my wife I did it. Mm -hmm. I get my approval letter, <laughs> and she sees it. She's pissed. Actually, she's not pissed. She just comes to me and goes, did you really do this? And I said, yes. She goes, you already took loans out for this first semester. Why don't you just stick it out for a semester, then go if you don't like it. You already took out the funds. And I was like, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. So I went there, and I would just ignore that phrase every time they said it. I'd go, no, no, okay. no, no. Oh, my God, by four months of listening to this stuff and into the fifth month, yeah, I was sold. It just took a while to override Break the indoctrination. Yeah. And sure enough, I had to explain to myself how the human body does heal itself. And I had to use the example of a broken bone. When you break a bone, no medical doctor ever has influenced the healing process. Not with a cast, not with a rod. Even if they put in a rod in a broken bone, they sit back and just wait mm -hmm. and x-ray every few weeks and go, is the body healing itself? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Innate immunity. And yeah. I, I finally started to click. I was like, oh, okay, God. Oh, man, I got this. Well, okay, what else don't I know about the healing? So the next month I applied to Dallas College of Oriental Medicine to learn acupuncture, chiropractic. I did the same thing, overlapping night and weekends classes, all day classes with chiropractic. Over, I want to know everything about healing. Overachiever you are. I couldn't help it. So when I, when I graduated with my license for chiropractic, I also had a certified acupuncture. I was a certified acupuncturist. And I was like, sweet, let's go take these principles and see if we can heal people. And oh my God, what a world it has been. Yeah. You have been lied to about every, every. single thing in medicine. Mm -hmm. All of it. Yeah. And they don't even know it. But I try to be nice about it, but you know, you hear stories like this, you're like, you can't. At a certain time, you just got to get the hell out and do it right. And how many times would you say, approximately, you've told this full story of. I, your I son? actually told this story verbally to every single patient that came into my office for the first two years. Really? Wow. Because this is what I wanted them to know. I'd go like this. Do you want to know why you're here? And they'd go, because my friend referred me. And I'd go, no, do you know why you're in my office? And they would go like this, because my friend referred me to you. And I'd go like this. No, no, no. This office wouldn't even exist for you to walk into unless I was sitting in here. Do you know why you're in my office? And they'd go, no. And I'd go, I need to tell you a story about why you were in my office and I am not an MD and I am a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. And when I would tell that story, 
everybody would buy in. Everybody would refer their friends the next day. Their whole family would be calling in to come in because they finally got it that this guy knows something maybe they don't know. And so then I decided after two years, this was taking too much time every day, an hour to tell the story. So then I actually wrote the whole story and put it in a folder and I made every patient sit outside and read it. I made them come in 30 minutes before their appointment and go read my story. Mm -hmm. And it worked. And oh my God, it worked because you want to know what? They recognized the fallacies that people are repeating mm-hmm. in the medical profession that don't even make sense. They just say have stuff. You, and you don't even have, know. have you spoken at chiropractic schools about this story too and told Absolutely. it? Because this yep. is one of the most fantastic, phenomenal stories ever. And and would it if it were about any other holistic, uh, what we call vitalistic view? I mean, it would still be resonant, you know. And that and that's a sense of the true chiropractic is a vitalistic view of the body and innate intelligence, even as much of the profession has dropped into a reductionist view. And, and some of these universities or colleges, you say for chiropractic, require vaccinations to enter. I mean. So we're not just giving a carte blanche to the, you know, how it's done today. We're trying to go back to the integrity and it exists. It can still exist. Even if you graduate, you can find your way back. But sometimes it's just it's just the easy with which the allopathic thought form is corrupted. So many holistic mindsets that wanted to be like the licensed, you know, so it's not all done. But this story, I just love hearing it every time. And uh, some babies are just porn picky. Yeah. What? You must be out of your Flipping mind we, to even have a rational, logical thought that that could be true. We came to similar conclusions through different. I mean, seriously, yeah, seriously, but, think about this. That came out of two medical professionals' mouths to me. Yeah. And you know what my next thought was? Man, if the female body knew how to make that baby, don't you think it knew the baby only needed one boob it was going to suck on? Why would it have put even milk in the other one? Why did God give the mom two of these? Right. If it, if it knows they're going to be born picky. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. This is so ridiculous. Yeah. Some nurses are born stupid. <laughs> And they're doctors that back them oh, up. Wait, oh, wait, hold yeah. on. So we're going yeah. to end this with a quote because I'm okay. sure Robert Scott Bell's got to go in this conference because he's the MC. Thank God. I just he's brilliant. Wanna, so I, I just want you to know, hang out this is my you. favorite quote in the whole world, mm-hmm. even with the COVID-19 pandemic. Have you ever heard of a guy named Albert Einstein? Uh, once or twice. Okay. So this yeah. crazy guy who was a genius, supposedly. Albert Einstein had this quote that isn't really related by many people or repeated, but it's one of my favorites. He actually said, there's only two things in the universe that are infinite. The universe and human stupidity. (laughs) The very next sentence is, I have more confidence in the latter. Hmm. His quote is, only two things are infinite. The universe and human stupidity. I have more faith in human stupidity being infinite than the universe universe being being infinite. infinite. Yeah. Got it. Says it. Got it. Says it all. Brian Artis, my friend, it is so much fun to hang out with you. And I appreciate you telling that story again. I know you've told it, but you, you tell it with the same vigor and passion that you've always it changed brought. my whole life. Yeah. There's not any part of my life that didn't change after that moment. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even be at the Red Pill Expo. Yeah. And it is. <laughs> it wasn't like for that. You, I'd be stuck in a radiology room looking at x-rays and MRIs telling yeah. people that you only have this metastatic cancer because you were born picky. I mean, I'd be saying <laughs> dumb stuff like that. Look, doctors are the, and I talk about this, allopathic doctors, third leading cause of death. And I argue second and first because they cause the they second are. and first. And, and, you know, this isn't us trying to say we want to be embarrassing doctors, but it's embarrassing what they do, primarily what they do outside of acute trauma, you know, uh, injury care, that kind of unexpected catastrophe. Prescribing MDs are actually drug dealers mm-hmm. 
in white coats for the drug pharmaceutical cartels. Yeah. It is no different. And yet, and guess have... who's the only ones that get in trouble? Like a drug dealer on the street. Yeah. Only the MDs. Yeah. Pharmaceutical giants don't get, they don't get hurt. The cartels don't get touched either. Not at all. Not at all. Folks, you're, you're a pawn. Take this with the spirit in which we deliver it. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just teasing. No, we love you. Wow. Love it, you. I don't right. know how that sounded, right. y'all, but in my ears. Very loud. That was really wet and Brian, juicy and Brian, gross. Brian was starting to nod off, so I had to, like, a little thing like <laughs> that. that. Anyway, funny. this is the fun stuff we get to do when we're together. I hope you'll come to Red Pill Expo again or any of the other events. And the big one, healingfortheages.com. Dot com. 10% off. Use the code RSB, get 10% RSB. off. And what's the date on that again? September 8th and 9th. It's coming up faster than you think. So please do that. We have it linked up in the show notes today at robertscottbell.com. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Power to Heal is yours. Love seeing you and love seeing this guy anytime I can. And, man, who doesn't love G. Edward Griffin? Oh, my God! Holy cow. What a hero. What an amazing guy to hang out with. Yeah. All right, welcome everybody. We are back and happening uh, from where? Uh, I think it's called the Red Pill Expo. And I'm glad to be here with my friend John Richardson. And you all know that I've been harvesting apricots. They're coming out my ears. And <laughs> and I'm happy about that. But at the same time, I don't know how to harvest them fully, especially when you get down to the what, what's in that thing called a seed, a nut, a crap. What do you call it? We're going to find out. We're going to find out in a moment. So in, in the meantime, uh, here at Red Pill Expo, one of the things I want to acknowledge that John and his family have done for years is support the work of G. Edward Griffin. They've known him, gosh, back when he was in diapers. No, not when he was in diapers. Yeah. But a long time ago. So I, I just want to acknowledge that history here as we introduce John. And um, we have these new things, too. Oh, let me see that RNC package. Just so you know, we'll be introducing. I've talked about these, but we're not officially like this. Uh, it's called Richardson Nutritional Center, and of course we have the bitter raw apricot seeds. You're going to find out why that might be important. You probably already know, but if you've read World Without Cancer by G. Edward Griffin, you'll understand what his family is all about, what they've done, and how sensational they are. So, welcome, John Richardson, back to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Oh, the crowd goes wild. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. How fun. So, yeah, Robert and I have been friends for, for 10 years or more. Uh, basically at these trade shows. We're trade show buddies, so we see each other at, at Truth uh, trade shows, and uh, he is a great uh, asset for G.R. Griffin doing the emceeing and all the rest of it, and he's, always, he's a great personality on the radio shows, and so I, my mission is to continue to get the story out there about apricot seeds and a world without cancer. Now, I know your audience may know more than other audiences, but it's surprising to me still how many questions people have about apricot seeds, about cyanide, about the potential prevention of it. So that's my mission is to, to, to get that message out there. If I can tell one person today, if I can tell you, yeah, one person today, my day has been successful. And yeah. that's, that's all I try to do. Well, it's really amazing uh, what we discover when we're willing to look outside, as my buddy Ty Bollinger says, outside the box, outside the cancer box, uh, suddenly the whole world becomes new and fresh and exciting and not as filled with fear as they would have us you know, believe that for instance, the C word is the dreaded C word that means you're going to die of it and it's going to happen real quick unless we poison you or radiate you or surgically remove things in you. 
And there are other ways to address that. We'll talk about the role of what's known as uh, vitamin B17 or laetrile, uh, that uh, the reason it was controversial, of course, I even talked about it with my buddy, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, for many years, we would talk about that whole history. And it's, it's just, a, it's an amazing uh, sordid tale of, uh, you know, very, just some extraordinary violations of fundamental freedoms. So um, if I look at this, I'm going to show you a picture of it on the screen for those of you watching. These look to me a little bit like almonds. Yeah. Right. They, they, they look, look like almonds. almonds. They, used to, they used to misname them bitter almonds. They're not nuts. Though. Yeah. That's the key thing. They're not nuts. So if you're allergic to nuts, it's not an issue. But, but it's, it's the people ask why apricot seeds. They taste bad. Why apricot seeds? It just happens to be out of the 1,200 foods that you can eat that in the United States the, that contain amygdalin, yeah. this has the most potency. So you could have put apple seeds in there. They have about two or three milligrams of amygdalin in them. You could put peach seeds in there. They have about six or eight milligrams. But in this bag, that seed contains 20 milligrams on average per, for each seed. So it's more the, the efficient. Most, yeah, the more efficient way to get the amygdala in your system. But we have so many ways now. And we're even coming out, like you said, with this little uh, oh, yeah. protein Check bar that's delicious. That, uh, I've got word from your wife-to-be. Uh-huh. She says everybody is describing this as being extraordinarily delicious. I don't know if you can see that. I, I read the ingredients here, but it's very clean. Uh, and I'm gonna try it. Maybe even while we're on the air. You know, I'm not yeah. supposed to eat while we're on the air. But good, good reports on this. Yeah, you can uh, speed through it. Another uh, great, great source of uh, protein as well as getting that nutritive substance again from the natural world that is helpful to you but harmful to things you don't necessarily want or need in hanging out in your body. Yep. Yeah. Well, I know. Listening to uh, my friend here for enough times that he knows that God created nutrients to solve pretty much everything that we come across. Obviously, if you're getting poisoned or shot, you need medical intervention, but just about every other disease has a natural treatment for it. And it's no different with scurvy, uh, rickets, uh, you know, uh, any of those diseases that are, that are uh, substance that you don't have causes those diseases. So that's also known as a deficiency disease. So G. Edward Griffin and my father, Dr. John Richardson and Ernst T. Krebs knew back in the 70s that a deficiency of vitamin B17 causes cancer to show up. Now, we got a friend over here. I like this. Oh, yes. I yeah. love vitamin B17. He did. Brian he Artis. He, What's happening, my brother? You want to know why I've never had cancer? Yeah, yeah, I do. Right. Apricot C you can say that. And vitamin B17. That's right. Yes. That's right. And everybody pay attention to these two. And he's not into any snake venom. No. For yeah, some reason. Yeah, I, don't no, yeah. I don't like snake venom either. I try to stay away from it. I mean, have you heard of the new drugs for weight loss and diabetes? The hot thing on the market is called Ozempic and yes. Have you heard about that? Yeah, yeah. You know what it's made from? Don't snake tell venom. me. No, just look it up. So it's called a GLP-1 drug. Ozempic right now has a published black box warning to cause all types of thyroid cancers within one year. And now watch, look at the CNN article. Blockbuster drug is what it's titled from two weeks ago. Blockbuster drug causes celebrities and people around the world to experience paralyzed stomachs for up to a year and a half to two years after taking it. That sounds like what a snake would weight loss? Is that a weight loss drug? Yes, and it's an injection once a week. For diabetes and weight loss, and it's made from Gila monster venom, the Gila. lizard out in the southwestern oh. deserts of the Americas. Oh, fan, fantastic is that. Well, I'm really excited to hear that. That's why, Brian, I don't take any pharmaceutical drugs and never have. No, I should. It's all snake oil and real snake oil. That's right. Yeah, the bad <laughs> kind. That. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Good, wow. What a great guy. Cool. Brian Artist, nice bonus round yeah. here yeah. Uh, on the Robert Yabell Show with John Richardson as well. Yeah. And that's interesting. Gila monster toxins or poisons. Uh, they do not want to stop until they envenomate us all. Yeah. Turn us all into no, lizard people. And uh, the biggest thing they say against apricot seeds, the biggest thing you'll do if you Google mm-hmm. is that if you eat three apricot seeds, you'll die of cyanide poisoning. Let me tell you, folks, that's a lie. Mm-hmm. 
they can't even separate it in a lab without the enzyme beta glucosidase. Look it up. It doesn't separate even in the lab. And in the 70s, the, the FDA said, oh, this stuff is quackery because we can't even get the cyanide to separate. So there's right. no way the cyanide works Isn't against that cancer. Funny? Yes. Like, and then when they found out that it worked, mm-hmm. they switched the whole thing. There's so much information. Stop you from doing it. Yeah. My, my, my biggest thing that the, 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 makes my brain go is yeah. that there's so much information. I shouldn't have to do what I'm doing. There's so much information that's readily found, but they scrape it off the internet. You can't find it anywhere. You don't see it. So I'm starting to gather all the old videos from the 50s, all the old books from the 50s and 70s and 60s. Laetrile has been used for the treatment of cancer since the 1920s. People were successfully treated and cured, even though I can't use that word on normal media. I can use it on here because you're not going to bleep me out. (laughs) I don't ever sell it as a cure to anything. It's food. It's food. It's nutrition. The best way to cure disease in your body is to make your immune system healthy. And Robert, no, you know this from Robert. You're, if you're fans of Robert, you know he brings you amazing nutri- nutritional su- supplements, uh, some of which, many of which I use. I don't even know how to say the word nutritional supplement. <laughs> My specialty happens to be apricot seeds and B17. Doesn't mean I don't think there's other great things out there. And I also need to say a lot of people think, why do I have to take all these nutritional supplements? Because the food is garbage. Yeah. Soils have eat, been ripped. They've been ripped. Yeah. If you take the same fruit that was grown, 50 years ago in your garden and compared it to the fruits that are grown in them, they're nothing the same. None of the nutritional substances in, in that food is the same. Mm-hmm. So that's why we need to take nutritional supplements and not a whole lot, just some. Now, I want to make available for the first time officially, we've talked about this, but officially now, want to make available this particular, if we can call it food, because it is, yep. the bitter raw apricot seeds from RNC Richardson Nutritional Center. And we're going to get you a discount as well. But I want to ask you about the harvesting of it because I have hundreds, if not thousands of apricots that came off the tree this year in our backyard. We inherited this tree and we, it's an amazing, amazing thing. We are freeze drying these, the fruit as fast as we can so we don't lose it. But we're not catching it all. And there's loads of seeds under the tree just hanging out and we've collected loads of them. But I'm looking at them going, how the heck am I going to get into these things to get to that bitter raw apricot seed? Well, that, that, that is the toughest part of it. The Hunzas came up with a, a rock in a tube thing. I don't know how they did it, but they just dropped it on it. It broke it apart and they ate the seed. That's, or they know how to break them. Really, the Hunzas live to be 120 years old. Mm-hmm. There is other ways to do it, but the simple thing is on your garage floor with your hammer, hit it with the hammer and you can break it apart. Don't smash it because you don't want to smash it. Uh-huh. But absolutely to my friend, yeah. you are the perfect example of what is the best way to do it. Yeah. If you get it naturally from your own tree in your backyard, you don't need me. You don't need a supplement. You just eat five to 10 apricot seeds a day and you'll be fine. And I tell people all the time, I don't care where you get apricot seeds. I don't care where you get your B17. I just care that you get it. Okay. Now, obviously we're in a business that we have to support each other so that we can continue paying to go to these shows and paying for our hotels and spreading the message. So we need to make money at the same time. And that's why I kept my friend here talks about apricot seeds all the time. I said, why don't we do an affiliate agreement and you can give a discount to your customers and we can spread the word faster. So that's what he's talking about. We finally did that. Uh, after 10 years, slacker. Uh, who's the slacker here? Me or him? I don't know. <laughs> Who, whoever. But all I care about is that you start taking your apricot seeds and eat them daily. Yeah. Or you take your B17. And we offer all the products and there'll be discounts and you can go get more information. Uh-huh. But it's 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 a beautiful thing when the information matches the supply. Because so many times people said, oh, I heard Latro was banned. I heard it was illegal. I heard 
the truth is it's never been banned. It's never been illegal. You just can't promote it for the treatment of cancer. Right. So you many can sell of the doctors, it as a food. Right. You sell it as a food. I mean, the doctors are here say, how do I use it to treat my patients? I say, please get away from that. You're not treating anything. You're helping their immune system. And the doctors are all going, yeah, okay. If you're just helping someone be healthier and you're not treating their disease, right. that's how you do it. So, so we have, have a picture here over oh, yeah. here with you and G. Edward Griffin. Is this right? But this is this is less right. scruffy than we are today. Yeah, yeah I we'll put almost, it up closer. Yeah, I was more scruffy. I was less scruffy. This is one. I have many pictures of G. Edward Griffin. That's my awesome. my assistant did this one. She I mean, said, you grew up when you were a kid. I was being around little, this guy. I was, I was literally in diapers. You said that you yeah. meant. You, I think you meant Ed was in diapers. But yes, yeah, I'm but not no, that old. You were. No. Yeah, I was in diapers. Yeah, my friend, my dad, Dr. John Richardson and Ed G. Griffin were best buddies. They were just like me and Robert here. We, they were best buddies. They knew each other through so cool. the through the industry of freedom. Mm -hmm. And my dad spoke at the first uh, international conference of cancer in in uh, Southern California back 48 years ago. Wow. And Ed was there as well, speaking about B17. Is, is is it now a chicken and the egg question in terms of Ed because he wrote the book A World Without Cancer, and a lot of it surrounded this discovery mm -hmm. in the 20th century about what this amygdala could do and the bitter apricot seeds. Mm -hmm. Did Ed learn this from your dad or did they kind of come to it together or, you know, how did it form into that book, World Without Cancer? Great. Uh, thank you for asking the question because yeah. it kind of gives me a major sense of pride that Ed didn't even know how to pronounce the name Leotrova. My dad and he went on a fishing trip together in 1971 mm -hmm. in Oregon. And Ed went with his fishing gear and time to relax and get away from it all from Southern California. And Dad br brought a big briefcase full, of, chock full of studies on Laetrile from Germany and from Pakistan and from wherever else Dad had it from. He was a, uh, this, you know, he's major studier. My dad was, but he had a thriving medical practice, and he was helping people cure their cancer. Excuse me, I can't say that. Yeah, he was helping people dissipate their cancer. My dad said he, he had the most uh, highest rate of spontaneous remission in the history of medicine. Yeah, dad said that. So anyway, he spent the week uh, weekend telling Ed, convincing Ed that this was the most important thing. And that he said, Ed said, John, why would they not want you? Dad said, they're stopping you from doing it. Why would they not want you to do that? And then Ed's pursuit of the answer to that question is what got him to write the book, World Without Cancer. He dedicated that book to my father, for any of you that have it, just open the inside cover. My father, Dr. John A. Richardson, who died, who was killed many years ago now. Uh, that's a whole nother story, but that's how uh, Ed came to know. And Ed recently at his 90th birthday, and I would like to say this, uh, he said from the stage, I was out in the audience, he said the second most influential thing that he ha had happened to him in his life was meeting my father. Wow. So he said three things. I, I can't even remember the other two. Yeah, that's, uh, that's <laughs> a, a, a self-serving. Yeah. I'm John Jr. I'm yeah. not anything what my father was. I'm just wanting to continue the message. And five years ago, I was reignited to tell the world instead of just selling it. Mm -hmm. I, we, we, my brother and I have been selling it for years. But, uh, quietly, not telling anybody. Now I want to communicate. Why? Because my dad's generation is dying off. Ed G. Edward Griffin is 91 years old. I'm so happy that he's that he's made this. I hope he lives to be 120. Mm -hmm. But these pioneers aren't going to be around forever. So all the information is being gathered, and I'm trying to get it out there. We got to disseminate it exactly. Yep. And I love that you you know decided to pick up the torch, you know, for what your dad did so so well, and uh, connecting with G. Edward Griffin, another great soul on this journey, that he would communicate to the world. Uh, about a world without cancer, in addition to, of course, the creature from Jekyll Island and all what we're doing with Red Pill Expo and Red Pill University. And, and I know that, uh, you know, the things that uh, if people tap in, if you tap into this stuff and get it, it's also going to help benefit G. Edward Griffith and, oh, yeah, and, the, and the group here. Yeah.
absolutely. Red Pill Expo is, a, is part of my heart. I come here. People say, what's the reason you came here? The main reason is to support Gia Griffin. Also, these are my people. It's like family. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we get in a little disagreements or arguments, but we're all on the same train doing the same thing. And I, I say, I don't never, I've never had an argument or disagreement. Everything you say, I 100% know because I was red pilled when I was born. My dad made me a life member of the John Birch Society. So fortunately, wow. I, I, I've known the truth and I know all the truth. So nothing surprises me. But also, the time is now, if you're like us, to get the word out there. We may not have a country if we don't get the word out there. We not, may not have surviving healthy people if we don't get the word out there. So now, the time is now. Exactly. So uh, what's the website we're going to tell people to go to? You're going to tell people to go. And the link uh, below will have, um, it's, it's rncstore.com and your initials, your three initials, RSB slash RSB helps support, helps us know where you came from, from Robert's great audience, and also helps us give you a discount and helps our shipping department know to get to you really fast because okay. you're, you're fans of Robert. So those are all the things that RSB does, supports his mission. You know, without uh, your support or our side, if we keep supporting Amazon and, uh, you know, uh, Bud Light and companies like that, we're going to tear, we're going to support people that want us dead. I got a pound bag here, yes. 16 ounces. Yep. Is this the standard thing that people well, that's, will be that, getting? Well, that's a lot of people get a pound. A lot of people get two pounds. Okay. Um, but, you know, it depends on what they want. Because here's the thing, Robert, they do taste terrible. Yeah. You and me, uh, we probably are used to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people want it in a capsule form or they want it in a ground up form or we even put it in this tasty. Oh, yeah, this looks, looks this great. This has 12 I'm seeds surprised. in it and nobody can taste it. 12 it seeds in here? Yes. 12 seeds ground up. Dude. Oil pressed out and there's 12 seeds in it. And it's, and you oh, you got, you got, four, they're broken into broken four, little, four pieces. little things. So you get, yeah, that's cool. There's, nobody's had any upset stomach. No one, that, we, this were all test packages. So you, the final thing will probably be uh, a little different. So will a serving size be? one of these squares i everybody I, I, yeah, eat the whole thing no 300 milligrams is nothing okay uh in hunza they eat 4,000 milligrams a day wow now we're all been told you'll be poisoned if you eat too much apricot seeds but i can tell you you're not poisoned you might get a really upset stomach but it's just you how can much do that just from eating too many cherries exactly but rodinase, you, you, if yeah. you get an upset stomach, you need to increase your rodinase, and that's from dried apricots and apples. People don't realize those have rodinase in them. So God designed it to get the apple seed with the uh, the amygdalin in it. Then when it's broken down by a, a cell that's not operating properly, the rodinase comes and breaks it down to things that I found out this weekend yeah. that Kate told me that give you a, a, like pain relief. It literally, she gave me the science behind why Laetrile gives you pain relief. That's cool. Amazing. Think, see, I, I've been doing this so many years, and then she, Kate, someone I just met this weekend, so, who you'll find more about. Yeah. She's from the UK. She cured Kate her cancer. Yeah. 11 years ago, she she cured her C-word with yeah. Laetrile, and she talks about the book, Laetrile, World Without Cancer, and I've never met her before this weekend. So... Very God cool. is working powerfully to get the message out there. There's some, some other things coming up that are fantastic. So follow Robert Scott Bell, and we'll, we'll keep fighting this mission together. Uh, remember the discount code RSB or go to RNC uh, store. RNC. It sounds like Republican National Commission. It, it's, <laughs> it's not. It's Richardson Nutrition Center. Center. Exactly. Yeah. RNCstore.com slash RSB or use the code RSB. Uh, check out that's the discount code and uh, you know you'll get a lot of great great uh, help to your body and, and again that's what we say here we're not curing any disease we're not treating any disease we're facilitating the body and do what it's designed by God to do more efficiently and in that 
well, you'll see a lot of benefit in that regard. Now, uh, can I announce that you're uh, getting hitched, getting married? Oh, yeah, you absolutely. Yeah, I did it on stage at the Clay Clark That's right. event, uh, in Tennessee. I remember I that. Getting married to the love of my life on uh, October 21st. You're all invited. She's all a 40, fireball. 50. Yes, she is. Can you introduce her? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, she's not here right now. No, but, she's right over there okay. at the booth. She's talking to people. Because I'm going to interview her eventually. <laughs> Great. You'll, you'll, she's, she's got she's, some knowledge about natural health oh, yeah. coming from her background. Oh, yeah. And she's a strong business mind as oh, well. But you would not want to get in her way. No, you would not. You, you have to not. be a very strong man. To, to, to I'm a lucky man. engage into that. I'm a blessed man. I'm not taking any credit for it, Robert. I'm uh, honestly not. God is working miracles in my life. He's yeah. changed me completely over the last five years. I am a different person than I was five years ago. I'm not afraid. I used to be afraid. I, even though I would tell people I'm not afraid, I, yeah. I was. I did. I don't make decisions out of fear anymore. So yeah. uh, asking the woman of my dreams to marry when she's the CEO of a, of a news network and she lives 2,000 miles away from me and we have 11 kids together. That's pretty crazy. But, yeah, but you say together, not together. What's that? Not, I mean. Oh, no, no. She had five. I uh, wanted the Brady had, Bunch kind yeah, of thing. Well, it is kind of Brady Bunch. Yeah. I had six yeah. from a from a 17 year marriage and she's no longer alive. So it's, you know, it's not a, we didn't, it was no controversy. Yeah, no, we go to church every weekend. Yeah. Don't worry everybody, we're it's not all good. living in sin. Uh, <laughs> but we are getting married on October 21st. And basically, if anybody of you know the heart, I'm already married to her. I'm already committed to her. She's already committed to me. I've watched so. them, they're absolutely in love. It's amazing, it's beautiful to watch. Makes you kind of smile and you go, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's so really she's, cool. she, but she's she, got amp news, and amp that's news. why I'll, I'll talk to her about that as well when we get her on sometime. But she's amazing. She's a dynamo as well. But uh, again, it's so good to finally make this connection happen. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm excited I, about it. And if you if you make it over to my neck of the woods, I've got some extra apricots for you if you need. Yeah, he can just ship them to me, and I'll crack them all for that's you. That's right. I don't use a hammer. I use this. I don't know. There's got to be a more efficient. Yeah, I was thinking. Machine, I'll send you if you show that. Like yeah. B roll, whatever B roll. B roll. Yes. I'll send you a machine that cracks it and sorts it and all that kind of stuff. It's fascinating. I wouldn't mind yeah. seeing it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind fun. seeing it at all. All right. So John Richardson. Uh, good to see you and uh, always welcome here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Uh, you guys want to get some of the amygdala or you want to get the bitter rye, forgot seeds, let's just say that supplies it. Uh, you have options and there are many different products, yep. right? Yeah, many, that, many different ways to do it and books. Yeah. Tierra Griffin's World Without Cancer is on there. Uh, you know, we have a, like I said, we have a lot of uh, resources for you and some blog posts, things we can say. Not the things we can't say. Right. And you can assume the things we can't say, but we do have a lot of information available. It's amazing, this freedom of speech issue. Yes, it is. I've told people for years that if you think you have freedom of speech in America, you only have it when you don't talk about natural health and healing. Exactly. It's weird. But you found out about it during COVID, didn't oh, yeah. you? Oh, yeah. Anyway, exactly. John, thanks for being here, my brother. I got to go uh, probably introduce the next speaker. <laughs> He's also the MC of the event. So yeah. I appreciate this, Robert. Really yeah, good. man. All so right. good to God see bless. you. Right. Big, big love and all the healing you can handle. All right. Take care. All right. We're back here at the Red Pill Expo with a first-time guest. As far as I know, I think that's right, but I know him well, and uh, he's a... I consider him a friend at this point, but I first watched this guy in a movie called America Freedom from Freedom and Fascism. And he was featured in that film uh, as a former IRS agent who uh, was asking questions that they didn't want him to ask. And they went after him. And unlike Sherry Peel Jackson, he did not have to serve time in prison. 
and there's a, maybe a reason for that. He'll, he'll relate, but we've had Sherry Peel Jackson on. She was at the last Red Pill Expo, and we had a great, great time there with her and interviewed her as well. And uh, this guy, if you don't know him, his name is Joe Bannister. Joe, welcome to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Thanks, Robert. So Thank good to much. see you. We've had a good, have you had a good time? Here at I've Red had Pill? an awesome time. Yeah, I, yeah, you surprised me. I had no idea you were going to be here, and I got a message. It's like, what? Joe's here. How yeah. cool is this? I knew you were going to be here, and I didn't get a chance to do it till the last minute to tell you, hey, we're going to see each other. So, so you were, but did you know you were coming like days or weeks in advance? I knew around uh, mid mid July. Oh, you know, wild. See, there were a lot of people that showed up at the last minute. Nobody knew we were coming, which was great. But it was sort of like everybody scrambled to get more chairs out, which was cool. What a great crowd! What a great audience! For those that watched it online, are welcoming you to the Robert Scott Bell Show. If you just learned about it. And you're getting a little bit of bonus Red Pill Expo as we're wrapping up here in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, but there are so many wide variety of subjects earlier today. Of course, we talked with John Richardson Jr. on, on this, uh, you know, the uh, apricot kernels or laetrile. Now we're going to talk about red pilling you on economics, I guess. Uh, Federal Reserve, of course, G. Edward Griffin wrote The Creature from Jekyll Island. When did you first encounter that book? Uh, while I was still working for the IRS, that was one of the learning, you know, here, here I was a certified public accountant. Mm -hmm. The IRS had hired me in 19, so November of 1993. Okay. And, uh, so CPA college degree in accounting and I never heard, never really realized how the income tax and the federal reserve system worked together We're connected or that they came into being in the exact same year, 1930. Right. Right. So one, was, the, one needed the other. Yeah. It wouldn't happen without that's it. That's right. And G. Edward Griffin, thanks to him and his book, Creature from Jekyll Island, that's how I learned how things really work. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't it on the banned book list? If you work for the IRS, you couldn't read that book. You know, they probably have a better banned book list now after yeah. I left. But back then, they really weren't. I guess they thought everybody was brainwashed enough that you would just automatically not pay any attention to the, you know, don't look behind the curtain. <clears throat> Whatever the wizard says, just yes. you do it. So, so I, I just think about the interesting thing about censorship we're all kind of living through if you're in the natural health realm. Uh, through COVID, you couldn't say what actually worked if it wasn't, you know, an emergency use authorization from the government. And in similar fashion, in terms of discussion of the, the things you shall not discuss, like Federal Reserve, uh, Federal Reserve notes, income tax, the concepts of uh, the, the graduated in income tax being a key plank to the Communist Manifesto adopted in the 20th century, even though a uh, hundred plus some odd years of uh, American history did not have something called an income tax. Uh, and it was survived on uh, impost excises and uh, tariffs. Those were the constitutional uh, forms of taxation. Now, the other controversy about taxation or income taxation is you hear it's voluntary. And, and there was some discussion of that in Freedom to Fascism, the movie as well. Uh, and I'm sure there were a lot of arguments made that that were considered frivolous that the IRS would go after people for. Yeah, and the, the, the list of, of frivolous arguments continues to grow because every time they find the IRS finds a perfectly good argument. <laughs> they just stick it on the list. And in fact, the Congress uh, helped the IRS to do that by giving giving the IRS like a, a, bla a blackboard or whiteboard where they could write as many things on there as they wanted. 
like an open open check, a blank check. So they're basically legislating from uh, that agency rather yes. than Congress. Yes. At that point. Yeah. Yes. Very similar to aspects of the oligarchy, FDA, FTC, all these agencies that basically make rules that is equivalent or tantamount to, to, to writing law that they're not authorized to do under the Constitution. Exactly. And I think, uh, I mean, there may have been something prior to the tax movement, but since the tax people were um, figuring out the lies. Keep, keep talking. Since the tax movement was um, uh, telling a lot of truth and the IRS didn't like it, there was a, a smearing of people that were trying to tell the truth all the way back in the 50s, uh, mm -hmm. calling people tax protesters uh, or illegal tax protesters. And uh, actually, it was around the near the end of when I was leaving the IRS, mm -hmm. uh, there was this IRS Restructuring and Reform Act. And the Congress actually make it, made it illegal for an IRS agent to use the term illegal tax protester because they figured out, uh, I won't tell the longer story, they figured out that that was an a unconstitutional bill of attainder to slap a label like that on you without any due process. That, well, uh, what's interesting about uh, so-called IRS tax court is that there's seemingly no due process. You're guilty good luck trying to find yourself innocent. And it's similar again with FDA and FTC. They assume that you're guilty and you have to good luck trying and you lose all your money, your ability to defend yourself because there's no uh, actual constitutional jurisprudence allowed. Right. And, and they you, tire you out with the administrative phases. Right. Administrative. Never, never see an actual court. Administrative law. This is what Jonathan Emord talks about too uh, extensively about what his battles against the oligarchy on behalf of people who want to have freedom in, in, in commerce, for instance. Right. Uh, so uh, commerce is interesting because we have something called the Interstate Commerce Clause, which seemingly makes everything that transits over one state line the purview and, and the jurisdiction of any federal agency. But some have argued that IRS isn't even technically a federal agency. Yeah. I mean, I've seen I've just seen a lot of a lot of creepy information about the IRS and its, you know, lack of legitimacy. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to, you know, still just look at the actual laws that are passed by Congress, the Supreme Court decisions, and the IRS's own literature. Mm -hmm. And I found, you know, quite a bit of uh, nuggets mm -hmm. <laughs> in there to make people's eyes pop. Now, the nuggets you found, were they utilized in your defense? Because it wasn't just that they said you can no longer work here because of what you are talking about and saying within the IRS, but they went after you criminally in some way to try and put you in jail like Sherry Peel Jackson? Yeah, um, I'll maybe give a little backstory sure. that I resigned in 1999 from the IRS. They didn't fire me. Uh, I basically told them that I really had some concerns, uh, that it took me two years to you know, gel together, and I issued a report to my supervisors at the IRS expressing my basic concerns. And I said, if you can't answer, you can address my concerns, I'm going to have to resign because I can't serve two masters. And so using that language of, you know, I may have to resign, they jumped on that and said, we're not going to answer any of your questions and we'll provide you with the paperwork necessary to attend to your resignation. Oh, please leave. Yeah, yeah. just get out of here. We're not going to answer. So <clears throat> that was 1999. Then in 2000, 2001, the mainstream media started paying attention to me and my story. And I thought, well, this is wonderful, not because I love being on TV, but because 
the American people might get a chance to hear this information and judge for themselves. I mean, it sure makes me upset. Maybe it'll make them upset too. Yeah. Well, I learned the hard way that when the media's uh, mainstream media is paying attention to you, it might be because they're about ready to take you down. Oh. <laughs> so that everybody knows your name when you get sentenced to whatever you get sentenced Don't they to. want to make an example of, of you or anybody that speaks out the way you did so that people live in fear? Absolutely. Isn't that their tool, their yeah. main tool? They is go fear? after the baseball players and the movie stars and anyone that will generate the maximum publicity. And so, you know, a former IRS criminal investigator like me, that's going to generate You want to make an example of him, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so what on what grounds did they come after you and what did you do? And, and is it in your book, this the story? Uh, it is. A lot of it is. Hold up your book to show everybody okay. this. It's called Investigating the Federal Income Tax. Uh, a preliminary report. You cross through it and it says a report to the American people, Joseph R. Bannister. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the story of how so they it, it's crossed out because the report that I actually issued to my IRS supervisors, like hand to hand. Mm -hmm. I recall, I called it a preliminary report because, you know, I'm a pretty humble guy. And just because you know, I was a CPA and had all these, you know, degree and everything, I might've made a mistake. I did the best I could, mm -hmm. but I called it a preliminary report because I wanted to present it to my peers and supervisors and see what they had to say. Mm -hmm. And the, so the reason it's crossed out is that 20 years later in 2019, yeah. I thought, well, now it's time. So it's not preliminary anymore. Yeah, it's not yeah. preliminary. Let's give the report to the American people and let them decide. So in that time, mm -hmm. it, was there a significant change in your perspective on what you initially found? I mean, did it validate your concerns or did you invalidate a number of things through these years that ended up in the book? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't say I think anything. It was a, an organic plant that grew. I don't know that anything that I embraced, you know, I stopped embracing. It was more just like adding on layer after layer of proof that the income tax you know is what many people say that it's it's not they these word voluntary i like i think that's true but it's really because there's an absence of a mandate right if you're doing something and you're not made to do it yeah you're doing it voluntarily uh, but when you look at the law it's more like well there, why is there this absence of a mandate yeah. Why does the federal government, the Congress, they passed a law to make uh, a manufacturer of the paper that goes around tobacco in mm -hmm. a cigarette uh, called a tube? Mm -hmm. They make that manufacturer liable for a tax on that paper. <laughs> they make uh, the tobacco grower mm -hmm. that's going to put the tobacco in the cigarette to be liable for a tax on the tobacco. Liquor has a federal tax. You know, the federal excise, the highway tax. Right. Uh, so in each of those cases and many more that I won't spend time listing, there's a clear uh, a specific, a specificity, specific, right? specificity yeah. of the layout of who's responsible to pay that particular kind of tax. Well, then when you look at the income tax. It's very vague. and Not only vague. It's, well, there's a, the person that's made liable for the income tax is somebody called a withholding agent. And the withholding agent is... Uh, mostly or generally the person that was, has to withhold money from a payment. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a, like an example that maybe most people could, could understand. Uh, most people, well, I know a lot of women, but me too, uh, like Andrea Bocelli. He's a great Italian tenor? opera singer. I believe he's a tenor. Yes. And so, you know, he's got fans all over the world, but he certainly has lots of fans in, in, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so he comes to Las Vegas to do a concert. 
And he's an Italian citizen, has nothing to do with the US except coming to perform here. And the venue in Vegas is gonna pay him a million bucks. Well, that person or company or corporation that's gonna actually write him the check, and he's a foreigner, is gonna be likely very liable to withhold an income tax on that payment to him. But but he has no liability, right? He doesn't. And yeah. Notice he's not making the payment. Yeah. It's the withholding agent that's paying. So but couldn't, couldn't he then sue that company to say, hey, you've stolen money from me? Not the way, not as far as I can tell. Because the agreement was he's working for a million and suddenly they write him a check for 650000 But see, because he's a foreigner. Yeah. He's a foreigner. He's not protected by the same constitutional rights that we are. Okay. So, so what if an American... Uh, goes into from another state, let's just say, and goes to Vegas, and he's uh, like a Bocelli. He's got big fans. They say, "I'm going to give you a million bucks to do that," and he's an American now. And he said, "I contracted for a million, and they write him a check for six fifty. Couldn't that guy go? Hey, wait a second, now you've stolen money from me. Yes. That's I didn't authorize you to stop pay me less than we agreed upon. Yes, that, that, that's my question. That and that's what they should deserve the entire million. Yeah. Uh, because they, the person that's being paid mm -hmm. isn't liable. I mean, like I've never found it and I don't, it's not because of, for lack of searching. Sure. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Then. It doesn't exist. And in yeah. fact, nowadays on a computer, you can search through the entire internal revenue code for the words liable is liable, made liable, any variation right. and find them all. And, and so it's not, you don't have to trust Joe to see if I was, uh, thorough yes. <laughs> in my search. But, but. So what it, what does this mean if, if there's meaning being given to this to, that makes sense to the average folks that might be going, I've heard things like this, but I really don't know what this means. Okay. Well, so liability is a, according to the, the federal courts, not me. Mm -hmm. The federal courts say that there has to be, as you, as you talked about, specificity. Mm -hmm. you, they can't just make you guess about a tax that you owe. It has to be specific and clear. But and, nobody's asking. Well, I say nobody. Most people don't ask the question. They just assume the liability, don't they? They just blindly go, "All right, here it is." That's right. I but mean, they through, never know if they're really liable because when people ask me, "Do you pay taxes?" I say, "I all taxes I lie lawfully and have a liability for." Right. Yes. But what does that mean? You know, you have to determine what is your liability. I don't want to just assume it because somebody says you're liable. It's like really. On what basis? Can I please have the specificity that Joe Bannister is saying? Isn't that right? And I, I think that'd be common sense and, to say that. Given that the Constitution acknowledges, you know, in the Declaration of Independence and all of a American jurisprudence that our property is ours, we own it, mm -hmm. and it's only through certain limited um, pathways can the government take it from you. Right. And so one With of those due path process with due process, but yeah. even, you know, they have to pass a law to make you one of those people required to pay. And that's what liability basically means. Is that when, when I hear like someone like Sherry Peel Jackson, if I remember it was her saying, there is no law. I just remember her. There is no law. It's like people say, well, of course there's a law. Uh, is there a yeah, law? Yeah. And well, I think, and I, no, no slight to Sherry yeah. because it, it's true. But it's kind of like using the word voluntary. Mm -hmm. It's it, it it could be indicative to some people that there's nothing there at all mm -hmm. when there is. But it's who does it target? Yeah. You know, who, who, well, who has to volunteer? That's an interesting who's, thing. Who's covered by it? Yeah. And that there are laws, but do those laws target you know Joe Bannister, or Robert mm -hmm. Scott Bell, or any anyone in particular? 
And that's where the IRS, you know, started to lose in my book because these allegations were made by people the IRS called illegal tax protesters. But when I would look at it, and I wasn't partial to the illegal tax protesters. Sure. If anything, I was partial to the IRS and the status quo. Sure. But why is it that when I would read it, I'd go, the illegal tax protesters seem to be telling the truth, being honest, being sincere. When I look at the IRS, all they do is call names. <laughs> it sounds so much <laughs> like people calling me an anti-vaxxer all these years because I question the safety and efficacy of a, a product that clearly wasn't tested against inert placebo. It's exactly the same same thing. dance card. It's yeah. amazing how, how these parallel into every arena. They cut their teeth on, and like I say, maybe there was people before tax protesters, but that's where they cut their teeth on calling people names and, and being in conjunction with the media too, the main mm -hmm. the mainstream, sure. the legacy media. The control that, of your thought forms that together, through the program. Yeah. You know, the people are watching TV and they're hearing you're a bad guy mm -hmm. and then they won't even listen to what you have to say because they've already been, you know, blackpilled. So, so we're talking with Joe Bannister, his book, hold it up again, investigating the federal income tax. Uh, and we have it linked up. You can go to his website. Tell us your website again. Agentfortruth.com. That's F-O-R. Agentfortruth.com. Agent so everybody check that out. Agentfortruth.com. So let's get back to the story of you're now here. Please, you're resigned. Let's get you out of here fast. But now we want blood. Right. They come after you for what? On what basis? Well, it was uh, it was kind of surreptitious in the sense that, you know, IRS criminal investigations aren't as, they don't as much publicity until it's until the hammer comes down. Mm -hmm. So from 2001 to 2004. So this would have been from two years after until five years after I left. Uh, I was being investigated criminally. Normally, in just regular everyday IRS you know, doings, uh, they, they start with an audit, something civil, a mm -hmm. civil, the civil arena, and then they might move to criminal. But in my case, they, they like went right for the, the big hammer right from the start. And so um, after five years in 2004, November, I was indicted on four federal felony counts. Uh, so what happened was I had prepared uh, tax returns that mm -hmm. are called amended tax returns uh, because there was a client who said, look, Joe, I paid the income tax already on prior year's tax returns, and I want my money back. And I'd like you, since you know the procedures, to, to help me it. ask for my money back. So did he feel like he paid it improperly, money that he didn't really owe, and he wanted it back? Well, he paid it when he thought he owed it, and then oh. once he learned he didn't like owe it. that he, he didn't owe it, he wanted like, to ask for it I back. need to correct the record. Yes. That's an amended return. Okay, so yes. you helped him with that, and they wanted to come after you for doing something that forced them to give his money back? or Forced to even ask for them to answer whether we could get it back. Oh. <laughs> like, so they didn't even want to be. They want to be asked. Yeah, okay. So then they, they targeted you, not him. Both of us. Both of you. Okay. For a conspiracy. Gotcha. If there's more than one person, Those then they're gonna, there's going to be a so conspiracy. So they're like throwing stuff on the wall, see what sticks, and hopefully you you know, you know can get convicted of something, fined, imprisoned, or something. Because yes. Sherry Peel Jackson, they went after her, and she actually served time in jail. Yes. Okay. So um, now they didn't look at my own personal circumstances at all. They focused all on this so-called conspiracy uh, and these tax returns. And I guess they figured that they were going to be able to tell a jury, oh, you've got this, you know, knowledgeable CPA, Joe Bannister, 
and he boondoggled you into doing this false refund claim on these tax returns, and then you're going to make big money back and all this, which was complete bull. Yeah. I did charge by the hour, but I didn't charge some percentage, you know, like, well, the right. higher the refund, the right, bigger right, my, right. my take. Sure. Uh, it wasn't about the money. And the time that was invested was huge because uh, there's just many steps along the way of this refund request You have process. to have like a really detailed mind to be able to do what you do. Well, you should have sent, seen the work papers Whoa. that were involved. Uh, it was, yeah. yeah were, I there, were there lawyers involved too? No, because a uh, CPA is able to do or uh, represent a client mm -hmm. during these administrative proceedings. Okay. Oh, so it was, it was an administrative court, not a uh, constitutional court of any kind. Right. Right. Okay. So it wasn't a circuit court or anything like no. that. So you're happy in the, this is a, the deck is stacked against you, my friend. Yes. And I was naive enough to, to go down the road, but again, thinking, well, I'm going to sign these tax returns as a preparer. Everything is truthful. What could possibly go wrong? Well, what went wrong is they, uh, a legitimate refund request for three different years mm -hmm. turned into three different years of a fraudulent refund claim. That's what they claim. And that then I conspired with the client mm -hmm. to do those returns and to have him stop withholding from his employees' paychecks. Wow. So there, that's why there were four counts. Wow. One okay. conspiracy account and three for the tax returns so that I prepared. you're in a kangaroo court. The decks are stacked against you. How come you didn't lose? Well, uh, so normally, or there's something called the Speedy Trial Act. Mm -hmm. And my client uh, wanted to engage his speedy trial rights, which meant that within 70 days of his indictment, his trial had to occur. I didn't want my speedy trial rights because you can waive them. I didn't want them because I wanted as much time to prepare as possible. Okay. Because I like to over-prepare yeah, for, sure. for tests and <laughs> things. Um, so my client, uh, you know, I may probably don't have time to really go on a lot, but basically he didn't want an attorney. He wanted to represent himself uh, and he wanted a speedy trial. On the other hand, I wanted an, an attorney. I didn't want the speedy trial, mm -hmm. and I wasn't—you know—I wasn't going to represent myself. So, because our defense uh, was split, was split, yeah. we couldn't possibly have a common defense. Okay. And so the judge, uh, grudgingly, because I don't think judges like to do this, they like the the two conspirators to, to sit closely together. together. Right. So they had to separate so, the. So they separated our trials, and my client went first. He represented himself, which I do not recommend. I know mm -hmm. people, some people do it. Yeah. Certain things you might be able to, mm -hmm. but a criminal, a federal criminal tax trial. That's a big risk, yeah. I would, I would not do that, but yeah. he did, and I, I respect him. He, he made his decisions according to his, his conscience, mm -hmm. uh, but it was, it was a train wreck. I watched his trial with So it my went attorney. badly for him. It went badly. He, oh, the other thing is that when we were arrested, because, you know, once you're indicted and they unseal the indictment, you're arrested. Mm -hmm. um, I gave up peacefully. He fled. Oh. He fled the arresting agents. Gotcha. So then when it came time to for your bail hearing, I was out in three hours. He was kept in, in jail. Oh, my goodness. Right. And so he was in jail not only prior to trial, but during his trial. This is like a, a bad movie right now. What's going on here? And I was free for the seven months prior to my trial and during my trial. Okay, so you continue to research and over-prepare. Yes. Okay. Can you walk us through? I, I know it's in the book, and I want people to read the book as well. Get the book. We have about uh, 10 minutes or, or so to, to review a little bit more of the kind of get cut to the chase, in a sense, give you an idea of 
what it was Joe Bannister went through and how he succeeded and uh, maybe get a little into what he does today. But, uh, you know, how does it transpire for you differently than the, cl the, the client in terms of your CPA activity here? Uh, well, the seven months definitely came in handy to prepare. Mm -hmm. uh, I had two excellent attorneys. Uh, the first one was Jeff Dickstein, who had already about 30 years of kicking the government's ass in, in tax trials. Mm -hmm. uh, really amazing. And then Bob Bernhoft, who, uh, for people that know about the Wesley Snipes yes, tax prosecution, yeah, it was a big... Bob was the lead counsel on that. On that. And uh, Wesley was charged with felonies and misdemeanors. He was acquitted of all the felonies, but the jury convicted him on the, the misdemeanor willful failure to file tax right. returns. So I think but that's what if you, you willful failure. So he couldn't convince the jury. He, he truly believed he wasn't liable to file. I mean, it's I think the tendency or it, it's not unusual for juries to kind of split, try to split the baby. OK, like, oh, well, he must have done something wrong. You got to get him thing. on something. Yeah. Right, we'll tag him on a little. But thing. yeah, right. really, if he was not guilty of the felonies because there was not willfully breaking any law. You'd think the same would apply. Was his was his done in uh, the tax court or in a, a federal? A full-on federal federal court. court. So he actually went out outside of the, the administrative trial. Yes. Yeah. All right. But your case is still in an administrative court. No, no, no. The administrative was when I was helping the client. Oh. But in terms okay. of the criminal prosecution, then it went then out. Then you're in and, the real court. Okay. So in a district court of some kind. Yeah, federal okay. district court in Sacramento, California, yeah. the capital. There. Gotcha. All right. So uh, again. Wind us through. We got a little bit of time. To, what, what, what was the journey then? Uh, basically, lots of dirty tricks. Uh, the prosecution attempted to uh, eject Bob Bernhoft, one of my two attorneys, before the trial even started. Um, they had a, an expert IRS agent with 30 years experience who got up on the witness stand. And he was the one that was supposed to tell the jury how, what all the bad stuff I did. And so the, we have these three tax returns we talked about that they claim were false. Well, Jeff Dickstein walked this IRS special, he wasn't a special agent, he was a revenue agent, mm -hmm. walked him through the tax returns, Yeah, almost line by line. Is this section false? Is this sentence false? Is this page false? No, 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 no. So the jury's, you know, scratching their head like, Yeah, what did you do wrong? What are we doing here? Those yeah. are supposed to be false and you can't tell me a single thing on the, on the document that's false. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the conspiracy, they asked the special agent who actually investigated me, did you encounter any evidence of a conspiracy? No. Did you encounter any evidence of, you know, the client and Mr. Bannister talking, like talking in a quiet room? Did an employee tell you that they walked into a room and talked? No, 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 no. They had a, a prosecutor that I used to work with when I was at the IRS, and they, and they tried to hang the IRS, the prosecution, hang their hat on that I never asked this prosecuting attorney uh, uh, to answer any of my questions and somehow by me not asking him that was evidence that i wasn't sincere okay well let me tell you this one question that i asked him at lunch one time which is why i didn't ask him any further mm -hmm. i asked him about the 10th amendment just in general i didn't ask him to recite it yeah he said what's the 10th amendment uh -huh. This is a DOJ did, tax division prosecutor. That disqualifies you from any constitutional questions at yes. that point, right? So, I mean, nothing against him. Did he was that a come nice out guy. trial? That, it didn't. Oh, okay. But there was other amazing stuff that is in the book that's yeah. maybe a little more detailed that mm -hmm. did come out. That okay. basically I asked that prosecutor if he would arrange for a meeting with between me and the DOJ. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm anybody important, 
but his email requesting a meeting for me on mm. my behalf, this Tom DeLeonardo was his name. There's his name. Uh, he, he said to his bosses in the DOJ, Joe Bannister is probably the most well-known person in the entire tax protester movement. Uh. I believe that if we had a meeting with him, he would listen to us. So he literally like sold me as like worthwhile to talk to. Wow. You know what? His bosses didn't even answer his email. Wow. And that came out in trial. Then. That came out in trial. Okay. So it didn't look like you were conspiring at all if they right. had that kind of thing. Right. So uh, was the acquittal then based on the fact that they didn't find any, first, any conspiracy and second, any deceit or fraud in the turns, frivolous or otherwise? Right. And the uh, my defense attorneys were just amazing. Uh, closing argument, the prosecutor, even though there was no evidence presented during trial, the yeah. prosecutor in his closing statement said, uh, I guess it'd be a closing argument, yeah. said that uh, it was all about the money. The Bannister did this all for the money, greedy, greedy, greedy. But he never said anything about in the trial that I you know, got a big percentage right. or commission or nothing like that. And then my attorney said uh, his theme was, which side is the con on, mm. like con artist? Yeah. Is it, mm. is it Joe was conning the government or is the government conning you and the jury to believe he's a bad guy? Wow. So it was, it was pretty incredible. Um, so the jury came back in your favor. And even though a lot of government employees on the jury, which nothing against government employees, but they but that would convict. be a conflict of interest, <laughs> I would think. Yeah. But uh, it was actually the government workers that were the most paying attention yeah. and recognized because they had to deal with federal state local laws mm -hmm. and they knew that's what i was doing right and uh they were actually the the ringleaders i guess you could say for championing an acquittal yeah. they said that no one ever voted for conviction mm -hmm. it was uh like 10 to 2 and the two were just kind of not sure mm -hmm. so we really did a good job and you know even though you're not supposed to have to prove your innocence right right <laughs> supposed to be innocent until proven guilty but yeah. my attorneys did just an excellent job in communicating my innocence. Was there any concern post uh, decision that they would come and try to retaliate because they can't have you get away? That would be a bad precedent to set. They did. They retaliated with audits. <laughs> okay. Almost done. Yeah, they were. They were. Uh, they audited. They audited me, uh, mm -hmm. and that was lots of fun too. But not not near as much fun as the criminal prosecution. Good lord! Hold on. Keep keep telling everybody what what you do now. How do people find you? Okay. Well, so I've been a. I've been a forensic accountant, uh, thankfully, uh, you know, due to the IRS training, um, you know, kind of a unique niche mm -hmm. because most special agents that get the training, they'll spend 20 years in their career, retire, go to the beach, have fun, not do anything with the media, not do anything for clients. Yeah. But because I resigned after five and a half years, you know, I still had a life to live and a, and a, a living to make. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I do forensic accounting, uh, consulting, you know, people that are wondering about these issues and mm -hmm. just try to give them the, the best uh, eval that yeah. I can, you know, for their unique circumstances. And, and did, I, did they finally look at the, you and say, this guy, Joe, uh, we just can't find anything. <laughs> He's too good. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. And in fact, the, they, the, there was another inquiry that i we don't have time to go into yeah but i remember after the deposition or th at the end of it the the attorney bob bernhoff he said what would you say about uh the level of joe bannister's integrity or no maybe he said honesty mm -hmm. 
And anyway, she said, well, it depends how you define honesty. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like, like a Bill Clinton, a Bill Clinton right? response. How do you d define is, is, right? Yeah. The, the word is. Depends on what you mean. Uh, so, folks, if you want to learn more, uh, you can go to the website, agentfortruth.com. Pick up the book. Uh, Joe does forensic accounting services as well if you, if you do that. And you might be able to find some unique and interesting ways to uh, apply the law in your favor because the tax code was written for what? Companies, businesses, corporations, not the individuals. People that think, you know, one individual, you, it's written against you. Yeah, the individual person shouldn't be in contact with the federal government. Uh, yeah, exactly. If they were obeying the Constitution. Right. So that's another level or layer. And I'm grateful finally to have Joe on the show here at the Red Pill Expo. These are the kind of things that we should be able to discuss openly ask questions, learn from each other on. And if you guys have questions, I'm sure there's an email contact on your website. Yes. You have to submit yes. as well. So check it out. Again, agentfortruth.com, linked up in the show notes at robertscabell.com. And as we wrap up here at the Red Pill X, was this the first Red Pill you've been to? Yes. Would you go? Would recommend others to go to this? Was it good? Very much. Yeah? <laughs> Very much. Did you learn anything? Because you're a learned guy. You know a lot of stuff. I learned a lot. Yeah. I always do. I mean, yeah. I haven't been to these expos for quite a while, mm -hmm. never to a red pill, yeah. but other ones in the long distant past, I always learn a lot. Mm -hmm. And I know everybody will who goes, you won't, you won't regret it yeah. one bit. It was a lot of fun. It was really great to hang out with Joe a little bit as well. We, we shared a couple of nice organic uh, farm to table meals as I always yeah. find as well, which is really cool. Thanks to Robert. I ate healthy this weekend. That's right. And, and thanks to Joe for actually being willing to go, you know what? I'm not going to take the easy route. I'm going to, I'm going to meet you at, or we're going to go to that place. Cause it's, you could just eat whatever at the hotel that doesn't work for me. And Joe went with us and we are all the better for it. So thanks again, Joe. Thank so you, good Robert. to see you, my brother. Thank you. Pick up his book, check out his website, all linked up. Once again, thanks as well to John Richardson. Pick up some of the RNC store dot com slash rsb or use the code rsb to get a discount and remember the power to heal on all levels is yours